Oh! Hiya! Welcome back, guys. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Podcast. And I do believe, Jamie, that this right here is the 81st edition. Right there, literally in the corner. Can you see it right there? I can see it right it's, there. It's beautiful. My old mic. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much. Oh, don't do that. Because I do believe that these Chronicles right here are the Chronicles of Bill Cott. Yeah, they are. Oh, wonderful. In that case, then, we better get started. Hit it! Hey, honey bunny, it's Rivka Reyes. This is Ron Wasserman, the nut that wrote Go Go Power Rangers. It's Boba Fett here. This is Molly Rennick from Living Dead Girl. It's WWE superstar legend, Davy Boy Smith's daughter, Georgia Smith. Hi, this is Bill Cott from the Wizards of Waverly Place and the movie The Ringer. You're watching the Chronicles of Podcast with Tom and Jamie. And you bleed out and die, that's some more see it coming and I just stood there and let it happen. Hello everybody and welcome to the 81st edition of the Chronicles of Podcast. And these are the Chronicles of Bill Cott. It is I, the bearded brummy Jamie, and joining me as always always is this handsome devil right here definitely the scotsman tom what's going on guys um what song was that okay okay i'll be honest with you when you started singing it i still had no idea so (laughs) forgive me i was I gathered from the blank expression on your face when I sang it again. <laughs> yeah, just, I mean, it's the fact that I asked you what it was and then you sang it again, even though I didn't know originally what it still was, so you could have just told me. But it's fine, don't worry about it, it's absolutely fine. What was fine. singing I, in these? Songs? I love it when people do that as well. You go, what was that? And you start singing it again, they go, yeah, you don't realise I have no idea what you just sang, so why are you singing it again? <laughs> just fucking tell me what it is. Just in case you didn't hear me properly, I'm going to do it again. <laughs> I heard you. No. I just don't know what the fuck you're on about. It's like, I, I know, I, I know I am a, 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 not a victim of this. I know I do do this as well. But don't guess what me. I'm 36 in June. Don't guess what me. I'm too old for it now. You know, <laughs> I, I know I'm a massive, uh, not advert. I mean, I do it as well. But like, don't guess what me anymore. I'm not a child. <laughs> I can don't do it to you, but don't fucking do it to me. All right. <laughs> don't you dare. Just, just fucking tell me what it is. All right. Because otherwise, my answer is going to be one the same thing. But radish, um, you know, every single time. It's all it's going to be every single time. Uh, egg and snot. What? Was that was that a was that a brummy thing? Must be because I've never yeah. heard that in my life. Someone says, "Guess what? You got egg and snot." No. I bet as a kid you thought that was fucking amazing as well. Like, do to be fair, as an adult, I'd giggle when I do that. So yeah, I am a man child. Okay, we've established this. So, welcome to the final ever episode of the Chronicles of Pot. No, I'm <laughs> you can't this leave is me. Where, um, I am joking. But just to make you all aware before we do get into the cruxy, cruxy, deliciousy part, um, that we are away next week. Well, to put it more bluntly, Jamie's on holiday next week, so there's no show next week. Um, because who goes on holiday midweek to midweek? So weird. Whoever but, booked the damn thing, because it weren't me. <laughs> Wednesday to Wednesday, such an odd 
It's such an odd time to go away. But there, oh, but Wednesday to Thursday, sorry. Wednesday to Thursday. Oh, well, still. Still. Still cares? weird. Yeah. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't give a shit. All I know is you're not going to be here, right? So we are away next week, so I do apologise massively to all you people out there that enjoy our show on a weekly basis. Uh, but we'll be back in two weeks' time, so don't worry. We're not going anywhere. It's just a, a nice little week off. Um, YouTube view- viewers, you'll get to see me with a sexy suntan. Oh, yeah. You watch that. Well, I was going to say, we'll be watch. I'll come back next week. It'll be bright red. It'll be like, ow, sitting on the chair hurts. <laughs> Here's my sexy suntan. <laughs> um, right. Jamie, yes. why do men think that taking their shirt off to fight people makes them stronger? <laughs> I really, really want to know. <laughs> I was having a conversation with a friend of mine this weekend. Martin came to see me this weekend. And he was at a rugby game um, and some altercation happened. And the father of the kid who was in the altercation took a shirt off to fight someone. And it's like, why? Does it give you more speed? Does it give you some sort of superhuman strength? I don't understand what taking a T-shirt off would actually do with them to be like, could you, could you not? Would you mind just putting that back on, please? That would be wonderful. I can see the logic as to why taking a shirt off would help. But I can almost guarantee that that has not even crossed their mind, the logical reasons, and they're just doing it because they want to act hard. But it's not hard. It's, it's no, not it's acting not hard. It's not hard. No. You know, especially if it's a button one, like, oh, for fuck's sake. Hang on. <laughs> Hang on. I'm angry, but still. Come on, fashion. Yeah. And, then, they, and then, the, then the shirt gets caught on the, on the wrist because the cuffs are too tight, and they try to pull it, and they can't get it off. And they're stuck there with no hands because, obviously, they're stuck in the cuffs of the shirt still. Then you're really fucked. <laughs> glad it's not just me that that happens to get the fuck off my it's always one arm one's fine the other one yes absolutely but but yeah i've never i've never really understood the whole concept of come on then (laughs) and start taking your shirt like oh mate do you what now my shirt's off i'm gonna fucking batter you i I was quite scared before but now my shirt's off now i now my dad bonds out it's fucking oh my god he's got tattoo shit we're gonna die Oh, he's got a tattoo of the England, the England logo and it says, I oh, love mum on his arm. Fuck. <laughs> let's not stereotype, Jamie. Yeah, let's not stereotype. Okay, let's... Yeah, sorry, uh, you know, sorry. It could, this could be dad. Okay, let's, you know. Um, <laughs> Doesn't have a tribal tattoo on his arm, honest. There's a really <laughs> mental thing that happened as well, right? So I got into a bit of a Barney with a driver. Oh, now, okay. I don't drive. I don't know why it's a Barney. Why is it not a Fred or a Steve? So no, weird. It's a great word. It's a great word. I got into a fucking Barney, mate. Did you? Why was Barney there? No idea. <laughs> Apparently he loves everybody, though. Um, I was at a crossroads between the bridge and Friars Walk in Newport. And I was stood in the middle and the lights were green. So obviously, as normally when lights are green, cars go by. So I stood there and I waited. There were quite a few other people around. Karis was with me. I know some people across the other side went to come across towards us. So all of a sudden, no cars came. So one of the guys on the opposite side started to walk, but the lights were still green. This car slammed its brakes on and I stopped at the crosswalk. And then she sat there and was like, well, fucking go on then. And it's like, I just went, still green, love. So no, it's definitely your right of way. And she went, well, you've started walking, so you might as well fucking carry on now. I went, First, first things first, let's, let's, let's break this down, shall we? I haven't moved. I've not made a step yet. I'm still stood here where I've been stood for the past minute or two, okay? Secondly, it's your right of way. Fucking go. 
Oh, no yeah. one's crossing. Why did you stop at a green light? And then she started. She, she started mouthing off a bit more. Um, she says, "Well, you've all you've all started walking now, so you might as well just carry on." Who's all? It's one Apparently, dude. Exactly. Exactly. Um, just some dirty little new put chav. But still, um, fucking full of them here. Uh, yeah, so I just, I started to walk and I was like, no worries, love, I'll, I'll So I like started waving at her and like was walking <laughs> on the front of the car, just like waving. <laughs> Thanks for letting me go, love. Much but it was even a, it was an older guy. There was an older guy with me being like, fuck's your problem. Fuck's your problem. Like, so funny. Yeah. <laughs> and it just makes me realise how much I really don't like the human race. Yeah. It, 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 it amazes me how the older we get, the more we realise that people just aren't good. I think I'm more <laughs> cynical because I'm getting older because yeah. I don't, I tend to not give a shit anymore. Um, but also there are exceptions. There are some wonderful humans out there. There are some lovely people out there, you know, um, but there's an absolute load of just like, why do you breathe? Why are you even here? <laughs> like you? that's a... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like people that just feel so entitled that they the world owes them everything, and I just don't get it. Yeah, no, I so, don't get it. No. That's Morant over. If I've if offended anybody, tough. So, Jimmy, <laughs> welcome to the last episode. We've been thrown off the air. Tom's offended. <laughs> How are you, sir? I'm very well. I'm very well. I'm, I'm a little bit excited getting ready for the old holidays. But I I I um I watched something this week, and I wanted to talk to you about it. So, you know, I mentioned before, me and Olivia have been watching the Power Rangers. We've been going through it from the beginning. And we are halfway through episode two, and it's that time where Zach, Trini, and Jason leave. Oh, season two. For, season two, sorry. Okay. To make way for Adam, Rocky, and Aisha. I couldn't remember from when I was a kid why they left. I know I remembered in real life reasons why they left the show, but storyline reasons why they left the show. Can you remember why? Just out of interest. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you, Jamie. I haven't watched it in a very long time. So. See, the show's called Power Rangers. They fight villains every week. How do you think, if you were to think of a reason why these three rangers... That, that was what you would assume, wouldn't it? They die, they get their ass kicked, they lose their powers, something like that. That is what you'd think, wouldn't you? Do you know the real reason why they left in storyline? I'm still baffled this, and it's been like several days. They went to a new school? No, but even better. Wait, don't guess what, me. Come on. <laughs> they joined the teenage teenage peace conference in Switzerland. Right. What the fuck? What writer sat there and went, "I need to write these three main characters out. What can we do? What can we do? A peace conference in Switzerland. That'll do." It, it's a kids' show, so come on. What the fuck? <laughs> it's the Power Rangers. It is, it is a children's show. I think they obviously thought that them dying would probably be a bit too much. I mean, if the writers of Animals and Farthing Wood, they wouldn't have given a fuck. But, yeah, that's a good point. That that negates yeah. any argument. For being they would have had diggers ever. and fucking cranes <laughs> in, and they would have got bulldozed straight out and like thrown to the sea or something. But well, Zed would just make a bulldozer massive and land on them. <laughs> or he'd actually stab them with his Zed staff, and everyone like, what the? Was it the hedgehogs that were on the, the fence or something that was on the impaled? Yes. Now I'm as a father would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be like that. Just, just a human impaled on the old, uh, on the old, on an old Zed old staff Zed or something. Support I don't know. Deforestation. Um, but yeah, I, I, I know exactly where you're coming from, and I get, I get what you mean. But 
it was a kid's show, so I'm guessing they've gone, shit, what can we do? Let's just take them out of the country. We could have robbed them of their powers. It was just like, no, you're going to a peace conference in Switzerland. But but may may Miss Trang rest in peace, because obviously she actually did lose her life in a car accident. So, um, yeah, uh, that is really, really sad to see. So... Um, but yeah, that, that really, really amused me. <laughs> I was just like, what the act? Like, Olivia's going to me, why have they gone, Daddy? I was like, to join a peace conference in Switzerland? I, d- I don't know, kid. I, I really just run know. with it. Just run with it. You're a fucking dad, for God's sake. <laughs> you know, teach them morals and respect. Yes. They've, got, they've gone, yeah. Join they've the gone to learn court. about peace. Yeah. Save the world again without powers this time. I actually um, think I actually think Zordon said something like to them. You're still saving the world, but in a different way, Rangers. <laughs> My Zordon voice is really good. No, great. Um, <laughs> so are you are you excited for Spain? I'm very excited for Spain. It should be a good laugh. We'll go to Benidorm one of the days. I've never been to Benidorm. I've always wanted to go oh, to Benidorm. So I, I just I'm intrigued if it's as cheesy and shit as it is in the program. I was bird or Jamie. It was great. I came back with an STD. <laughs> I went there with free, so winner. No, um, got with a gilf, came out with an STD. Fantastic. That's <laughs> <laughs> literally what it is, isn't it? It's just like blood bangers. Loads of old people have to go there, and everyone just fucks each other. I don't know. I don't, I'm making assumptions. <laughs> I'm so sorry, people that love Benadorm. I do. I do apologize. It's like Ibiza without the drugs. Pretty much. Yeah. More old people. And the thing I look forward to most, though, is to see if Olivia sticks to her word with what she's going to do. Because she keeps singing Feliz Navidad. She has since Christmas, every week, every day, she sings this fucking song. I was like, do you know what that means? I was like, it means Merry Christmas in Spanish. She was like, I'm going to go say that when we're in Spain. I was like, don't say Merry Christmas to strangers in Spanish in April. She's like, I am, Daddy. I'm going to say Merry Christmas. Mate, she's five. Let her what she wants. (laughs) She's a kid. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to stop her. I'm just intrigued if she's actually going to do it. Because the idea of her just walking up to strangers and going, Feliz Navidad, really amuses me. Well, she hates me, so I don't actually speak to anybody else. Yeah, like... I was going to say, she ain't going to speak to anyone. She's that shy, but no. still. My best, the best probably get is... <laughs> and I'm like, ah, si, cuanto es? Ten siete, siete, si, si. And she'll be like, what the hell is going on? And then all of a sudden, all these goats appear. It's like, what the daddy? Why have we got seven goats? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Just wanted a beer. I don't know. Um, but how are you anyway? How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. I've, uh, I've had a banging weekend, but I'm just, I'm back doing doing that doing that job. So, um, yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm, I'm on my own, which I fucking hate. Um, it's it's such a weird like anticlimax. So I've gone from having Martin and Keris here a weekend to nobody, and it's just odd. Keris was out all day Friday, so I was on my own Friday. Martin turned up Saturday, but Keris went out all day Saturday morning. So I was on my own for that. Then Martin turned up, and I was like, "Yay, people!" So I spent the weekend with him, and then he disappeared today. But Keris went this morning, so I'm like, "Ah." Oh. So I'm not gonna lie, Jamie. I've been sat on that sofa. Doing fuck all for three or four hours. I don't actually know what I've done. If I'm really honest, I'm like, <laughs> where's the evening gone? There's only so, so many times one can masturbate. 
Exactly, exactly. Um, so I watched, I watched Simpsons and just had Simpsons and just quoted loads to my sister. So um, we love quoting Simpsons. And I've weirdly not, I'm not trying to be arrogant anyway. I find I can pick voices up quite well. You can. So there's, yeah. there's an episode called Hurricane Neddy where Ned's house gets um, blown down by the hurricane and the Simpsons is fine. Either they build the shelter and they're just in the cellar. And Flanders has an anger problem from when he was a kid. So they ring this doctor. So they ring this doctor and he's like, Ned Flanders? Are you sure it's him? May God have mercy on us all. <laughs> and he turns to his wife. He goes, dear, where are my shoes? She's like, uh, in, in the den. The den? May God have mercy on us all. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> me and my sister were, were voice note back and forth. I was picking up some random shit. So it's like, the stairs? May God have mercy on us all. Was <laughs> <laughs> picking those randomest things. It's so funny, and I was just like kept doing loads of quotes, and it was just it was great. Um, so that entertained my evening really. Um, but in uh, to answer your question, Jamie, I'm fine. I'm just tired and lonely. How are you? Oh, I want to give you a hug. Well, I, I appreciate that. What are you? What are you doing with yourself? Um, mostly reanimating, to be fair. But I've just finished my last shift before going on holidays. I'm very happy. The time of work. No, can I, can I, can I, yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> um, had the kids stay over this weekend because obviously I'm not going to see them while I'm away. So we uh, we went to a trampoline park. I realised just how old I am. Because... You always go to them. You, I think yeah. you go to them every time you see them. We seem to keep going to these things lately. It's like a bounty castle place or trampoline place. It seems to be like. How old do you mean? How old you are? What, what are you going to say? all of yesterday my sides and everything were hurting like if i coughed i was in pain i was like fuck i'm old i'm either old or really unfit or both i was just like <laughs> but it was good fun, either way still a great laugh even though sam got one of the foam blocks and we were just pelting them on my head little shit but it was great fun um so we did that uh we did an easter egg hunt around the house which was great fun because obviously we're going to be away for Easter weekend, so we gave them all their Easter eggs and stuff. Now, me and me and Becky are trying to demolish our Easter chocolate before we go away now, because you know. Oh, you're going to hold it, mate. I, don't, I didn't. Even yeah, did I mention going. it? I haven't really mentioned it. No. You could fucking talk, Captain New York. <laughs> I haven't mentioned it in weeks. I meant when it happened. Oh, I see. <laughs> so when we go away, so I've been to the chocolate before we go away. So we did a hunt before we go away. Obviously, we're away for Easter. <laughs> you would absolutely hate my Easter egg this year. It's gorgeous it's not bounty is it oh it's bounty baby it's got coconut bits in the actual egg oh, oh no, no 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 you might as well have like a gherkin egg oh that sounds vile that sounds amazing to me <laughs> is there the people that made those eggs out of fucking full-on cheese i'm like i'd i'd smash that i'd just grate it onto my pasta <laughs> what are you doing great my easter egg what yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's right? What's wrong with you? <laughs> um, I made ice cream for the first time in fucking ages as well. This back there yesterday with the kids for Christmas. I got like um, instead of a churny machine, it's like a bowl you put in the freezer and just basically yeah, mix yeah. it. I finally got around to using that. That was great fun. I made some tasty ice cream. I made some Oreo ice cream. It was very very nice. Very very nice. Made me really miss making ice cream though. So I kind of want to do that again. There. Um, what else have you done? We watched the first night of WrestleMania. We haven't got around to watching night two yet, but for night one, oh, that was a good event. I very much enjoyed night one. Rhea, yeah. Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte Flair. Superb. 
Oh, very good match. Very good match. Although Dominic was robbed. Poor Dominic. Loved Dominic. Right. Again, this show is now ending. So thank you so much for. Look, he's had a hard life. He's a convict. All right. Leave him alone. Oh, fuck <laughs> off. I mean, I know it's kayfabe, but fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I love him so much. He's <laughs> such a little twat. <laughs> I suppose because you're a dad, so you probably relate. <laughs> <laughs> Great little prick. No, um, um, <laughs> what else have we been doing? <laughs> um, be listening to the brand new Berry Tomorrow album now that's a finding out with oh. two former guests involved on that bad boy. Oh, oh. Simpson, go check it out now. Go put on your moss shoes and enjoy boys and girls because it's fucking incredible. So and, proud. <laughs> and I got gig tickets this week, so I'm very much looking forward to that in September. So yeah. So last week I think it was I forgot to mention on the show, we brought tickets to Generation Sex, which sounds a lot dirtier than it is. Basically, it's one half of Generation X, Billy Idol and another guy I can't remember the name of, and two members of the Sex Pistols. They're doing a tour called Generation Sex. Well, they're doing like two shows, so that's going to be awesome. And on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, we got tickets to go see Busted and Handsome. Nice. Yes, that's going to be good fun. Very much looking forward to that. And last but not least, what have I been up to? Season 9, Episode 1. Oh, so you finished 8. I finished 8. Did you gonna... absolutely ball your eyes out of the end? I was very I was very close to the knowledge that as a season nine pissed me off. But don't get me wrong, I love this show and I, I can't really make a judgment on an episode on season nine yet. I've watched half of the first episode, which I'm enjoying so far. But it shouldn't have made it. That was a perfect ending to season eight. Why? Don't worry. Don't don't stress your beautiful little face about it, all right? I'm sure it's great. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure I'm really going to enjoy this season, but I was just like, that was such a perfect ending. Uh, Why? It it was. I mean, I can't believe you didn't cry, you fucker. What's wrong with you? I don't really cry at things. I mean, neither do I, but Jesus Christ, that was like, Keris was a mess. She was on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) It was the look up to the the drone, just the look on his face, and Chloe's like, oh, I was like, oh, I saw goosebumps thinking about it. <laughs> oh, that's got mass goosebumps. It is fucking great, though. Dude, there is one of the best death scenes I've ever seen in 24 history in season nine. Oh, okay. Like, okay. oh my God. Me, like, literally, I was like, there's no fucking way that's just happened. <laughs> and you'll know exactly, I got goosebumps again. You know exactly what I'm talking about when you see it. You'll be like, what the fuck? It's, oh, I love it show so much. I just can't Did... get over Jack dressing up in that full black outfit with the mask and stuff. Just oh. fucking shooting at cars. Oh. I'm like, Jesus, oh. calm down, man. <laughs> One of the greatest seasons of 24 history that is as well. Like, Unbelievable. Man. Putting the, the um, gas canister in the car and just put his foot over the window. It's like, you fucking badass. Oh, I've got such a man yeah. crush on you right now, Jack. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Do dirty things to me. No. <laughs> oh, just an incredible, incredible. But yeah, I'm looking forward to properly getting into season nine now. But don't forget, it's only half a series this time. Oh, yeah, I, rem- I remember. I remember. Which is heartbreaking in itself, but still. Anyway, what have you been up to, my friend? Uh, Rihanna, of course. Um, it's just been WrestleMania weekend. So yeah. you watched night one. I've seen all of it. Um, probably 
one of the best main events I've watched in a very long time. Well, um, Cody Reigns. A lot of people on Twitter are not happy. And I don't get it because it's just like, I'm trying not to give it away, obviously, but like it's just like, it's just a show. Just enjoy it. Why does it matter? Like, why does it fucking matter? It just, I, it, yeah. So oh, that's all I'll say on that. Night two, um, the triple threat match is fan fucking tastic as well. And I Hell in a Cell. expected no less but, to be fair than that triple threat match. When you've watched Hell in a Cell, message me. Okay. And I also want to give a massive shout out to poor Dante Martin. If you yeah, oh my god, I did. I did. Um, you watch the Ring of Honor pay per view? I forgot to mention that. That fuck me, ow. <laughs> so I didn't watch it again. I just saw it on Twitter and was like, "Fuck!" His whole leg goes the other way around from below his knee. You just like there. What? Mm, okay. Um. So yeah, I was, uh, I was watching it at work in the main atrium because I was like, on nights. So I was like, "Fuck it, let's just watch some wrestling more." And he did that, and I think he just went, shit, I think his foot just went backwards, like, really loud in the the last one. Jimmy Westwood, how did you watch the Ring of Honor pay-per-view when it's 20 bucks online? Um, I paid 20 bucks on Honor Club next, so what okay. are you going to Yeah, what are you going to I was going to say, because I was going to watch it, and I was like, oh, I'm not paying $20 for that, hell no. Yeah, what are you going to so, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but obviously, uh, night one was great. I did, I did enjoy it. Um, God, there was no the surprise was Pat McAfee. And I'm like, fuck oh, off. Oh shit. Fuck right off. Boring. Um, Although it sounds like it was better than the surprise for night two from how that panned out. Royal accounts. I've heard about that. Have you? Yeah, I've, I've seen the results. There's no avoiding it. It really is because I don't know when I'm going to be able to watch it. Because I don't know if I mentioned I'm going away, so I don't know when I'm going to have free time to watch it. Oh, so you know about that? Okay, so I. Oh, yeah, so you know I, about I know. Too. I know if it happened. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Um. Yeah. Obviously, for people that list this, I haven't seen it. I, I don't want to give it away, but yeah, people are massively kicking off on Twitter, and I was like, just grow up. Who cares? That's what I wanted. So I was happy. It's rest. Well. Um. I was very indifferent. I was very torn. In night one's main event, I was so fucking happy. <laughs> oh, fuck yes. That had to end like that, and it was so damn good. Um, anyway, let's anyway. move on before we spoil it for anybody. So like I said, um, Martin came over for the weekend because it's been the return of Attack Pro Wrestling, the wrestling I used to go to in the barn in Cheltenham all those years ago. And four years on, it's fucking back. And it's just... Amazing. Mandrews has taken the helm by himself, or good old Mark Andrews, and is running it on his own. So it's what happened was, and I didn't know this, they put a show on in January hmm. but called it something else. And Mark Andrews walked out, I think it was under a different, like a fake promotion name. Mark Andrews walked out at the very beginning and just unzipped his hoodie and had the Attack Pro Wrestling shirt on. And everyone just collectively lost their fucking minds. That's awesome. So cool. Um, <laughs> But it was great, man. Like just being back there was just nuts. Like night two was better. Uh, I, I enjoyed more than night one. Night two, obviously, because Trent Seven was there, um, and that just made me so happy. Um, and I got to meet the man himself. Uh, if you if you know me personally on socials, you'll see the pictures on there uh, that he liked. So I was like, oh, so happy. He's a wonderful um, man. I'd love him on the show. Yes, that was my intention, um, but I was a bit like, oh yeah. Um, <laughs> 
it was just awesome because he, he just talks a lot. So I didn't really get a word in edgeways, but it was still absolutely fantastic. Um, I just having mine here was amazing. We literally, he turned up Saturday afternoon. We watched football, went straight to the pub, went straight to attack. Keris picked us up. We watched Mania. We watched Stand Deliver, which was mm. also fantastic. Really enjoyed that. Got through halfway through that. We woke up Sunday morning, watched the rest of Stand Deliver, watched WrestleMania Night 1, then went back out <laughs> to the pub to watch the football. Then went to the wrestling again. Case was up again, but last night mine was like, Yes, we'll stay up at night. And he <laughs> he did absolutely gone. And he's gone. So uh, I was like, You better go to sleep. I literally, it's so funny. I, I brought the bed in for him and everything. And he, got, he, he got in. I went to bed. And as soon as I put, I got in bed, all you could hear was snoring through the wall. I was like, Oh, bless him. He is gone. <laughs> um, so we finished May night two today. Um, yeah, and that's about it, really, man. It's just nice to have some company and it's just to see people uh, yeah, because I, I just don't, I just don't see anyone. So it's kind of fucking depressing living here. Um, if I'm yeah. not gonna lie. Um, so yeah, so obviously Easter weekend this weekend. So it's only a, I'm only working three and a half days this week, which is beautiful. Uh, got a work party Thursday afternoon. We got to an escape Ooh. room. Ooh. So I'm only working. I'm only working till two, um, which is going to be absolutely amazing. Um, and then we're going for food, and then it's like I'm off Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So just like, yes, get in my face. Um, and I've obviously been sorting out the personal bits and pieces I mentioned last week. Um, I'll be able to announce that in a couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, uh, just getting that all sorted. So that's literally, man. It's literally about it. Sounds so beautiful. But before, before, before we hear from our one of our best friends at Stakeholder Clothing. I just want to mention, unfortunately, Callum is not with us this week uh, due to some family stuff going on. So we send our well wishes and our, all our love to Callum right now. Um, he's just dealing with some personal stuff. Uh, but he will be back in two weeks' time to treat the nation again. So we love you, Cal. We hope everything's okay. Uh, we're thinking of you right now. Um, yeah, just wanted to get that out there. But I think now we're all cut up, Jay. We should uh, hear from Braden at Stay Cozy. All right. Is this thing on? Well, howdy doody, everybody. This is Braden Barry from Say We Can Fly, founder of Stay Cozy Clothing. Your one-stop shop for the coziest, most fashionable hoodies, t-shirts, and more. Gorsh, Mickey. That's right, folks. And we're proud to say that we are now sponsoring... The Chronicles of Podcast. Ouch. Hosted by Tom and Jamie. <laughs> like, you can get 10% off, man. That's right, Shaggy. Just use the special code, The Chronicles, at checkout. Oh, boys. Oh. Like I say every time, it will always be the best advert. It's just the best ad. It's just great. It's incredible. On, on so many levels. But I now better do this justice. Now, Callum isn't here for the week. That's very true. Here we go. It's time for Tom's Journal. And welcome to another edition of Tom's Journal. So, have you ever used this excuse, Jamie, for when to be going on a night out or when to be going out with friends and you just you're just not really feeling it? So this is the excuse you give. Hi there. I'm so sorry for the late notice, but I cannot find the specific clothes I imagine myself attending this event in, and thus I can no longer make it. Many thanks. I'm amazed that no one's ever used that excuse. I've just got nothing to wear. To be fair, I have had some people that are like, 
I mean, me and Martin weirdly were talking about it, where it's like, sorry, my hamster's uncle's in town. <laughs> and then they're fit. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you see the mouse and you're like, oh. Yeah. Okay, then. That's happened quite a few times. It's like, I'm really sorry, mate. I've got this, 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 and this on. Then on social media, it's like checked in here or gone somewhere. And you're like tagged in a post in this place. What? Uh-huh. Why just be fucking honest and be like, I'm really sorry, I got plans, or just bull, yeah. or I'm busy, or whatever. Like I don't give a fuck. Just be truthful. Who gives a shit? I don't give a shit what you're doing. Like if you don't want to come, just fucking say. Yeah, if you've got plans elsewhere, or you were given a better offer. Just like. I'd rather do this, if I'm honest. I'll see you next time, yeah? Yeah, I'll see you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, We're all friends. We don't need to... We could just be honest with each other. But this is an absolute fact. Every time I use a self-checkout, the person in front of me has never used self-checkout touchscreens <laughs> or money before. <laughs> money before? <laughs> You've always got that one person who does not understand how they work. Yeah. Absolutely. And they always put... They've always go for the scales, like the one that the machine next to them or put it on the basket area. Yes. <laughs> And you're like, fucking hell. They go, this is shit. No, fucking use these ever again. Because obviously they've been made to look like an absolute twat. Pretty much, yeah. Where did, where did the notes go? Where did the notes go? Where it says notes in. It's a bit that says notes in. It's a dead giveaway. Yeah. I'll tell you what, we'll go to Specsavers after this so you can get some fucking glasses. Um, <laughs> I might know some people there. Are you ready for the eel song? Okay. Did you know an eel has two jaws? No, I didn't actually. Okay. This is called, and you're gonna get it from just from the title, a moray eel. Oh, I think I know where this is going. So the eel is called a moray, M-O-R-A-Y. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. When the eel yeah, has a moor with a fanerage eel jaw, that's a moray. <laughs> <laughs> when the jaws open wide and there's more jaws inside, that's a moray. And when it sets Ooh. in and has two sets of teeth, that's a moray. Oh, two sets of teeth. And when a eel bites your thigh and you bleed out and die, that's a moray. <laughs> that's some beautiful singing, by the way. Oh, stop it. No, it's not. <laughs> I just a fan. First verse makes me laugh, and then there's the next one. Like, oh, oh, and there's another one. And there's another. And, oh, we, we die in the fourth one. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we do. Unfortunately, sorry about that. Yeah, that was a roller coaster of emotions. But are you with me here, Jamie? Are you with me here? I feel like potatoes don't receive enough recognition for their versatility. Oh, absolutely. Breakfast, hash browns. Fast food, French fries. Fancy dinner, baked potato. Holidays, mashed potato. Relaxing at home. Potato chips. There's a potato for every occasion. There is. They are literally the greatest food on the planet is a potato. And I actually know someone who doesn't like potatoes in any form. What the fuck is that about? Wow. So they eat crisps, chips, nope. fries. None of it. Nothing of the that's that's actually I feel. I feel yeah. I feel for him. This is one of Claire's friends who I sort oh, of I've... know. <laughs> And I was literally listing things. I was like, do you mean she doesn't like potato croquets? Do you mean she doesn't like mashed potatoes? Do you mean she doesn't like smiley faces? I just listed all different forms of potatoes. She's like, no, Jamie, she doesn't like potato. I don't know how else to put this to you. I refuse yeah. to accept it. It's like people that don't like cheese. I refuse to accept it. Yeah, I don't know how you can not like cheese. I mean, unless you're allergic, obviously. But 
Croquet. I, I love croquets. Fucking tits. So I hope this I hope this comes across how it comes across. Right. I'll just I'll explain it actually. Okay. When you use scissors to get new scissors out of out of the packaging, okay? Yes. In a David Attenborough voice. <laughs> and through dulled with use and soon to be discarded. The aged shears still have one last vital role to play. For the kitchen, it has called home for almost a decade, freeing its young replacements from their zip-tied cradle. The circle of life continues. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, that was so good. (laughs) It's the kitchen they've called home for the past decade that really got... (laughs) And your David Attenborough voice is fucking brilliant. Oh, no, come on. Let's be real. That was fucking great. <laughs> I closed my oh. eyes. It's like I was there. <laughs> and now we see the anteater. Dress the French maid. Go on, son. Um, anyway, sorry. <laughs> I love Lee Evans. Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. I fell back that hard. My back hurts. Right, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I'm old. So let's see if you agree with this, JB. A good romance starts with a good friendship. And a bad romance starts with rah, 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 mama, mama, ga, ga, ooh, la, la. <laughs> see it coming, and I just stood there and let it happen. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking so bad. <laughs> Jesus Christ. What a banger. Now, somebody has called themselves an ex-Jedi on Twitter for this tweet, and I can't say I blame them. An right? ex-was? This right? Jedi. Okay, that's what I thought you said. Yeah, thing you fucking love that's in space. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is fucking genius on so many levels. And to, to Roy Wood Jr., I salute you, sir. You absolute hero. This is what he did at school. Sixth grade, I forgot the science fair was the next day. 10 p.m., in a panic, I find a loaf of molded bread my pop forgot to throw out. Made a study on mold, moisture, and air. Got second place in the school, fifth in the city. Bread was so moldy, I was praised for conducting weeks of research. (laughs) That's absolutely amazing. Bravo, kid. Bravo. That is brilliant. <laughs> just, I just think that's amazing on so many levels. Like, such quick thinking as well. I was going to say, see, that's all you need in life to get ahead, kids. Quick thinking. And lots of studying and do your homework when assigned to you. Yes. Yeah. It's the dad in me. So, if you really think about it, Jamie, we've always wanted to fuck monsters. Okay. Not where look, look, look at ancient Greece. Everybody was fucking everything that had legs. Even if it didn't have legs, you fucked it. Monster fucking is an essential part of cultural development. Um, excuse me, Megan, this is a staff meeting. Oh, God. <laughs> I didn't see 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and now you're about to hate me. Oh no. A girl agreed to go at me after I gave her a bottle of tonic water, swept her right off her face. Fuck's sake. <laughs> And that was the last episode of the show, ladies and gents. That made me so happy when I found that. I was literally like, this is one of the greatest things I've ever read. Oh. This is going to be one of the most ionic episodes we've ever done. <laughs> I told my three-year-old he was my most, fav- most favourite craft because I made him myself. And then he had a tantrum because I didn't add wheels to him or make him red. That's something me or Sam would say. <laughs> so good. <laughs> so fucking good. Oh, Two more. Funny. Two more. Right. And whoever these people are, Jamie Westwood, you need to fucking have a look at yourself in the mirror. Those people who get to work like half an hour early before their shift starts <laughs> to settle in with a cup of tea to confuse the fucking life out of me. If I start at 8am, best believe I'm rocking up at 7.59am on the dot and still having a cup of tea. <laughs> Look, I don't get there early to settle in. I just don't like the idea of being late. I like to make sure I'm there plenty of time. I better leave a day early to make sure I'm there on time for my shift in four years. <laughs> I mean, that is something I would do. But no, I just like to make sure I'm there on time. I don't like the idea of being late. It's fucking retail days. It's unbelievable the amount of things that retail has fucked my brain when it comes to work. That was the most brummy thing I've ever heard in my life. Fucking retail buyers. <laughs> oh, sir. I was like, what? I'm going to hear that back now and just be disappointed in myself completely, aren't I? Sorry, Mike. Can you say that in English, please? Um, anyway, my apologies. Huh? And finally, Jamie, we're going to leave that there. We'll leave that little nugget yeah, there. Let's enjoy yeah. that for everyone. You know, Sorry, top that. And finally, futons are a great comeback story when you think about it. Bread no one ate yesterday becomes the best part of the salad today. Inspiring. I like that. That's really nice. Like that. Isn't it? That's really, really nice. I like that. And that was another edition. Of Tom's journal. A beautiful way to bring that to the close. I like that. I know, right? I thought so. For the for the week off, ready? Nice. People could be like, oh, oh croutons. Oh. You little saviors. You little saviors, you. <laughs> um, do you want me to come and drag this piece in? Oh yeah. Yeah, let me drag this piece in. Come on, you little fucker. Welcome to the Chronicles of Bill Cott. Um, why talk to Karen? Should I wear my shirt up like this? Or down. Or or up. Bill Cott is an incredible improv comedian and actor supreme. He has been seen in so many amazing character actor roles, being Dharma, the Wizards of Waverly Place, where he's probably best known as The Ringer with Johnny Knoxville, such an incredibly underrated, heartfelt comedy. He's done absolutely 
tons of things like this man's imdb is impressive to look at you have to go and check it out now and more on top of that he's one of the loveliest people we've ever spoken to <laughs> yep you could also find him as the dean in young sheldon and he's also in this is us as the mailman as well as more roles that i know he's most well known for curious um, george oh, i can't believe i missed off curious exactly george. yeah come on jamie come done on so come on she's done so um, much this is a great conversation. This was so much fun. Um, do apologize for near the end as his internet did cut out. He did have a, a power cut. Um, so if there's a change in audio and everything and the video, etc., uh, we do apologize for that. I did my best with the editing. Hopefully it's okay. I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's absolutely fine. It's just, just in people aware it's not your radios or car systems or phones or anything like that. It's just yeah. um, it's not the wireless. Yeah. Yeah, so don't don't worry about it. It's not the dial up, you're fine. Um <laughs> Jamie. Yes, sir. Any final words at all? Just a massive thank you to Bill. It was so great to find to actually get to speak to you. An incredible career, an incredible human, and this is a great conversation. It truly is, ladies and gentlemen. Strap yourselves in, because here we go. Ladies and gentlemen. Interviewing this week, it's Bill Carter. Ladies and gentlemen, today we bring you another incredible guest. Today's guest is an incredible character actor who has worked on some of the biggest movies and shows like Saturday Night Live, The Wizards of Waverly Place, The Ringer, alongside huge names like Dana Carvey, Johnny Knoxville and Curious George. A man who will make you question whether you should wear your shirt up or down or possibly tucked in. Boys and girls, please join us as we welcome you to the Chronicles of Bill Cott. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on, sir. It is an absolute pleasure. But I think we'll start with the hard-hitting stuff, Bill. Um, How have the last few years been for you with the pandemic, etc.? I know it's still kind of lingering, but it's not really a problem anymore. So how have the last few years been for you? Um, They have been... um... At, at first, it was, like, transformational, and I was like, great, this is the reset button. Like, <laughs> I, I had many different moments, you know. The first was I, I, I woke up on that Saturday of the first weekend of the lockdown, and I was like, I don't have to teach improv class. Uh, and I love teaching improv class. I love doing improv. But I had a Saturday to myself, you know. I, I was teaching those improv classes. A, because I love teaching, but also because I absolutely needed to teach four days a week. Um, And now I couldn't. Nobody would let me. And so uh, regardless of the money situation, regardless of life itself, I didn't have to do anything. And it was a blessing. And then I started doing these things called the Live Jive um, on Facebook Live. And I had inspirational moments in the morning and then I would have improvisational comedy in the afternoon. So I was broadcasting twice a day. All of a sudden I was like, Hey, I've got something to do. I've got my show. And that was wonderful. Um, And then, um, then I became my daughter's um, preschool teacher, which was fun. And I got to explore different exercises and activities with her. Um, and um, my wife was able to both work from home and she she had a she works in commercial real estate 
now we're separated, but at, at the time and during the, the pandemic. Um, so she was out doing that. I was here um, collecting, you know, uh, extra special government employment, uh, unemployment and uh, doing my own thing and, and also teaching classes online once I realized how to use Zoom. Um, and then, you know, and then, like I said, I, I separated from my wife. So that was a period that was kind of a down period. Um, and, uh, and now here I am out there performing live again, doing improv and, um, back into the dating scene. So, um, there's been several ups and downs and transformations, but it's been overall incredibly rewarding despite wow. all the tragedy, uh, to, to, to others, to members of my family, even, um, I, I, it's been transformational to say the least. Great words. I'm so sorry as well. Sorry. Oh, well, you know, life goes on and, you know, I think everything happens for the best. You have, you have to believe that as the song pro noia says, I don't know if you've heard that song, but I love it, that the world is conspiring in your favor. Instead of the world is conspiring against you, the world is conspiring. The universe is conspiring in your favor. That way, anything that happens, you're like, well, it's good. Now I'm dealing with this or something better. Okay, I don't know why I'm putting it. I like that. I like that a lot. But mm-hmm. hey, you're absolutely right, though. These past few years, they have been transformational for many people, whether it be mm-hmm. good or bad. I'm quite glad that most of the people we speak to on this show have come out of it in a better light, in a better sense. Mm-hmm. You know, they've learned new skills. They've got new opportunities in life that, you know, they've had those uh, transformational moments internal as well you know that self-reflection period so i'm so yeah. glad to hear that you've done the same as well you know you know learn those new skills and p.s i lost 50 pounds and a total of 100 pounds God. Yes. incredible yeah. we love it yeah. <laughs> yeah. but please take us back sir to the days of young mastercott what did you originally aspire to be when you grew up was it always like acting in improv and stuff for you or was it something completely different like man, a train driver it was it was right here. I think at one point I looked back at something that I had done when I was in kindergarten and they asked me what I wanted to be in life. And I said I wanted to be an army man and fight for my country. But I think that was just propaganda that was around or something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was, you know, we're talking about, you know, just I think at that point, just coming out of the, the Vietnam War. So uh, that just goes to show you what a strong propaganda tool television can be. Because God knows where I was getting that message. It wasn't from my family. Um, and uh, But a- after that, all I wanted to do was perform. I started doing magic at a very young age. My parents would, when they had house guests over, they'd have them have me come out and sing or do magic tricks. or do. I used to do impressions of people I had never seen the original of. I had seen impressionists do impressions of Jimmy Cagney and... Uh, uh, Edward G. Robinson and all that. I had never seen them on film and I was doing impressions of their impressions. So I was performing from a very, very young age for friends and family. And then every time there was a show and tell at school, uh, a play at school, I had to be in it. I, and I'm not qualified to do anything else. The, my, 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 my only jobs outside of writing and performing have been, um, uh, washing dishes at a pizza joint, which was my first ever job, uh, making pizzas, uh, working at a steak and shake, which is a chain of diners that we have in the Midwest out here, and um, and working at a bank. 
which which I did to kind of like I, yeah I know you're like a bank where's that well I got a, I got a, I got a degree in communications with a theater emphasis and um, several members of my family worked at this local bank St John's Bank which is in our community it's a community my my, my father grew up in the community that my grandmother grew up in and um, so it was it was it was a very family sort of a thing it was a local bank it's one of the few um, community banks back there in St. Louis. And um, so when I wanted to move to Chicago to study at the Second City, I was like, well, I'll just look for another banking job. And then <laughs> I found one pretty quickly because who the hell wants to work at a bank? <laughs> the transition from making pizza to giving money out and storing money for people. It was just a, yeah. it's quite a... <laughs> I eventually balanced a vault that would have $5 million inside of it. They trusted me with that. With well, my sticky little pizza, pizza fingers. <laughs> <laughs> now, why is there cheese on this note? No reason. Mm. <laughs> I don't know, but there's oregano too. Give it, give it, give it back. <laughs> I'm saving that for later. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna say to do the work you do and to play like the variety of characters and everything, you must have an outgoing personality. So obviously, you've just said you know you've always been that since you were a kid. Where does that come from, though? Is that is it people in your family that are like that, or is it just you were the weirdo kid of the family that just liked to perform? I'm the middle kid. The middle kid's always striving for attention. I think that's a large part of it. But there were several members of my family that were actors. My my grandfather, my mother's father, um, was uh, a union actor in St. Louis when he retired from being a welder. He was also uh, a Marine. Uh, he fought in World War II and Iwo Jima uh, and, and then in Korea. And then um, then he then he came back to the States, became a um, uh, a union welder for most of his career. And, you know, he always had a calling to be an actor. And then he retired and he started doing commercials and movies and, you know, whatever would come his way. And um, so I, I think some of that's from him. Some of that's from my father, who was a writer. And my dad was a performer, too. He was in a seminary uh, before he met my mother. He was training to be a priest. And uh, he would be in all the plays and musicals there. And so he auditioned for, in St. Louis, it's called the Muni Opera, which is an outdoor amphitheater where people perform. And uh, he was told that it was unbecoming of a seminarian. So he, he, he auditioned and got the job to be in the chorus, you know, and like meet Broadway actors that were touring through. But no, they said it was unbecoming of a seminarian. So he was always very supportive of what I did. So I think I get it from both sides of my family. Um, I'm, I am not actually an extrovert, though. I can go into extrovert mode, but I prefer to be an introvert. I prefer to listen. I prefer to be a little bit more passive. Um, and I think my, my personality is I'm, I'm forcing myself to be, become more outgoing because I think, I, think, um, I think I'm making the world a better place when I'm more extroverted. So for the benefit of mankind, I'll do it. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I get that though. A lot of people are, I'm a bit like that. Like when I'm not doing this, I'm quite mm -hmm. quiet. I stick to myself. I've got my small group of friends, but as soon as I'm doing this, I'm like, hey, tell me your story. You know, right. it's, like, it's like performance brings it out of you. It's weird. Mm -hmm. But so what point in life growing up did you sort of decide, I want to be an actor. I want to get into this, this line of work. I think, um, it was a play in the fifth grade, I think it was. And I saw auditions 
posted and I, I, I was like, okay, I'm going to be in that play. And I came home and told my dad, Hey, I'm going to be in this play. And he said, uh, when, when was the audition? And I said, Oh no, they haven't had the auditions yet. And he goes, well, then how do you know you're going to be in this play? I said, I know I'm going to be. And I was right. I wound up being, I played the King in a, in a play called um, the pale pink dragon. That was all about this princess that got turned into a dragon by a witch. And I was her father and I led the search party to go find her. And I had a solo and everything. And, um, we invited my whole family to come out and see it. And they were all proud. And uh, my dad told me afterwards, hey, I was, you know, I never really wanted to encourage you to go into show business because I was wanting to do it. And then I was discouraged from doing it. Uh, and I also know it can be a very tough business. It's a tough life. And he, he started tearing up and he said, but after seeing you tonight, I'm not going to stand in your way. Oh, that's beautiful. that is beautiful. Yeah. And I'm like, well, damn, if I want to do it this bad and I got my dad's blessing, here we go. So everything I did in my life after that was was geared towards that. Every time there was an audition, every time I could be part of some sort of performance, uh, I would I would apply myself and become a part of it. Uh, when I went to college, I, at first, I didn't want to go to college. I wanted to go right to Second City and study uh, improv in Chicago. And my dad said, you know, they're not going to hire you without any college experience. You need to go get a liberal arts education so you can have a knowledge, uh, a more in-depth knowledge of literature and history and the world around you. And um, um, for the most part, he was true, but I can't remember anything that I learned in college. <laughs> it looked good on paper, though. Got you in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Done and paid for. Got me you in a second, too. Which is, which is obviously that was the end. I love the positive attitude, by the way, and the fact that, by the way, I'm going to be in this play. Nothing's actually happened yet, but I'm definitely yeah. going to be in it, all right? <laughs> yeah. Um, you did theatre at school and college, didn't you? Um, yes, I so did, yeah. Was that to get to Second City, or is that something that you wanted to pursue and thought, actually, no, I want to go and do improv and acting? Um, no, I thought, you know, theater was, was, you know, a, a stepping stone to getting, to getting on, on camera. And it was, you know, I, at that point, I didn't even say like, I, I want to do this versus that. I just wanted to perform and I, I didn't care what the venue was. And at that point, the options were, you know, stage, uh, radio, film and television. There wasn't an internet yet, so I couldn't really do anything myself and, and put it out there. Um, and also, um, I spent so much time in the theater because that was part of my work study program. I got, you know, so many, if I'd worked so many hours down in the theater, that was more money that was added as a grant. So I was building sets. I was, you know, working on productions, whether I was on stage or not. But I was, I wound up being on stage in every production that I wanted to be a part of. And I wanted to be a part of every one. <laughs> Again, positive attitude. I love it. It's brilliant. Yeah. I, lo I love that, like you said, that positive attitude that, no, I'm going to do it. I, I don't you care what it takes. I'll do whatever needs doing. I'm going to do it. Yeah. It's the great. only person that's st standing in the way of you and what you want to do is you. Yeah. I heard and this I great quote the other day. Somebody says, um, Where wherever you find a closed door, you have another opportunity to knock. Ooh. Oh, that's Ooh. awesome. You know, great quotes. Bill. Somebody tells you why you can't do something. Go great. Now I'm going to pick that up and I'm going to be able to do that so I can get through that door. Love Let it. yourself fail, man.
That's what improv's all about. Ooh, you segued me to my next question, and that was beautiful, Bill. I love that. I was gonna say, I'm really I, good at psychic segues. That's great. I was going to yeah. say, you, we've mentioned improv quite a few times now. Where does that yeah. love of improv come from? It kind of came from my dad. He, um, he loved uh, the Second City. Um, and although he was in St. Louis at the time when the Compass Theater, which later became the Second City, was performing in St. Louis... Uh, he never saw them perform there, but he had heard about them and knew about it and, you know, was aware of Nichols and May because that was their heyday when he was growing up as a young man. And um, so, like I said, he was a writer. He wrote uh, industrials, corporate theater for companies. He would he would write, you know, the speech for the president of the company and slideshows, but he would also write full musical comedies based on whatever theme they were trying to get across to their their employees and um and in some cases he could just outright hire a company to come in and do things and he said every time there was a show in chicago he would just say um you're a fool if you don't hire the second city you know hire up their whole cast have them help write it and perform it and that's what they did and so he was kind of connected with second city early uh in his career and then when sctv and um, Saturday Night Live came out. He would, um, you know, he would let us stay up way past our bedtimes to to watch that comedy. And we knew that the idea was is that it was all made up, and it was all it came from the uh, the process of improvisation. So, like I said before, you know, even when I by the time I was in high school, I knew that what I wanted to do, like people would give me like books on the Second City, and so I could start reading about where, what I wanted to do. The same way that before I discovered all that, they, they would give me books on magic and magic tricks. And, um, you know, I was my 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 um, my passions were always fostered by family and friends and still are. I was going to say, you can tell your dad had like a huge influence on you. Like you said, like, Second City, like, yep, I'm going to Second City. Yeah, like, I love that. It's great. And I've got his name, too. He was Bill Cott as well. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's great. I, I, speaking of SNL, you're just saying that. I've always wished SNL was a thing over here in the UK. Which mm. it, it's so fun when I've seen clips online and stuff like that. I'm like, why can't that be a thing here? Well, you, you all have your own, you know, uh, I, cultural identity and you have your own, you know, versions of that. Like when, when I was in the 80s, when I was in the 80s, like, you know, when I took my time travel back <laughs> in the 80s. No, or when I grew up. There was, um, oh, it was that great show. And I'm surprised if it's not still around with all the puppets. It had all the, you know, back then it was, of course, they had Margaret Thatcher and Reagan and Prince Charles and Princess Diana. and um, Spitting image. Yeah, spitting image. There you go. Which was a totally different take. You know, you can go anywhere with puppets and it actually looks like them, you know. Um, So, um, you know, and you guys have had stuff, you know. Monty Python, you know, no, no knock on SNL, but 20 times funnier than SNL. So (laughs) you, you, you've had something better than SNL and don't, 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 don't get all humble about it. All right, fine. (laughs) They're taking, they're taking spin image to the theater now. I've heard it today. So. Oh, really? Yeah. They're going to be taken to the theaters. I don't know how they're going to do it, but I bet it'd be fantastic. So looking forward to seeing what they do with that. 
But you, you and beyond the fringe, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to start spitting the entire British <laughs> comedy history to you, just so you guys don't feel beat down by by the fact that you don't have SNL. Screw that. Um, you hit the improv scene with like some amazing people, Steve Carell, uh, mm-hmm. Amy Poehler. Um, yeah. But with with improv, obviously, you have to be so quick because obviously mm-hmm. it's like give me a name. What are they doing, or what's the occupation? Said like it's just it's just speed, isn't it? And you um, you don't ask questions. Is that correct? You try to avoid questions. Obviously, you can be you, you know you've heard people improvise and use questions, uh, but from a from a beginner standpoint, we try to ask beginners not to ask questions because they they do that from a place of insecurity because they're not sure what to happen next in the scene. It's always best to make a statement. And a yes and statement at that. If somebody gives you something, instead of trying to figure out what it is, just agree with it. Don't try to make sense of it. And then, obviously, the less you understand about it, the more nonsensical whatever comes out of your mouth will be. And that'll be funny. Mm. And if you fail, people go, oh, well, it was improv. You know, (laughs) they don't hold you to this high standard like they had months to rehearse and it came (laughs) out as that. No. If you have any response... They're impressed, and if your response isn't top-notch, they're like, oh, well, you know, it was improv. Or um, there, there, there's, just, there's two, two, two things that can happen in response to something. One is that you can say the expected thing. So if you say the most natural and normal thing to you, and it's a normal thought, <laughs> which can't always be dependent upon with improvisers, but if it's a normal thought then the majority of the audience will laugh out of recognition. Oh, I thought that same thing when they said that. Hmm. And and if what the what is most natural to you is 100, 180 degrees from what the audience is expecting, then it's a surprise and they'll laugh at that. So they'll either rac- laugh out of recognition or surprise. You really can't go wrong as long as you don't hesitate with improv. And, you know, you can ask questions, but the spirit of ask, trying to get information from your scene partner, instead of saying, oh, great, you gave me all this. This is all the information I need. I'm going to build on it. I love, let me just write that down. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> You've got to have this recorded. You can write it down later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, I, I knew that. What? All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You're saying... You know, you studied in several places that I could see, but as as you've mentioned, Second City in Chicago that that is the one. Yeah, you, you my first teacher there. was Stephen Colbert. Oh no way! Yeah, it's just to say that. And but, yeah, and then I was able to work with him. I'm sorry, I interrupted your question. Sorry. I was just going to say, like Second City, was it everything you hoped it would be, or was because there must have been a lot of pressure going into it? It didn't even get the chance to be everything that I hoped it would be. Because uh, I was hired up while I was still in the touring company. I had hoped to like, you know, start up a show on the main stage and, you know, have my cast. Well, it turned out that my touring company was my main stage cast. My touring company was, you know, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, Rachel Dratch, uh, Ali Farinakian, Kevin Dorff, Pat McCartney, uh, um, uh, Rachel Hamilton, Francis Callier. They're like a rotating circle. We weren't all in the same group at the same time, but... You know, that was my, I got to have a main stage company on the road, but uh, you get paid a lot less and you're crammed into a van performing in Iowa. But um, so 
it was everything that I'd hoped it would be and more in terms of where it got me, mm. which was the Dana Carvey show. I got hired up. You know, I, I, they even took a look at me for Second City before I got the Dana Carvey show. And that was while I was in the touring company. And that doesn't often happen that somebody's in a touring company and they get the opportunity to audition for SNL. So I felt very blessed. And I, I, I did express some regret that when I got when I got hired up for the Dana Carvey show, that my name wouldn't be up on the wall of people who had mounted a show there. Hmm. It's one of those ones that it's like, I got there, I did it, I succeeded, but at the same time, yeah. quite... <laughs> I get what you mean, yeah. But you, you mentioned... So maybe I'll have to go back there and direct a review or something. Who knows? That's a good idea. That's a good idea. So you mentioned Dana Carvey show there, but... One thing I wanted to mention before that, I was doing my research, and if IMD, if IMDb is correct, which let's be honest, it's a 50-50 chance. Right. Your first TV performance was on, let me get this right, the Armando Diaz Experience Theatrical Movement and Hootenanny. I don't know why that's that's listed as a television <laughs> performance, because it was not. It was a stage performance. Okay, I was going to ask, what the hell is that? Because <laughs> it's a great yeah. game. <laughs> Uh, it's a, it's a great show that's that, that is basically a, a format that almost all improv theaters use now, and it's based on a man named Armando Armando Diaz, who was a great storyteller. And Armando would tell these stories, and then we'd spin out a bunch of scenes that were inspired by themes that were brought up. We like we wouldn't replay the stories that he told, but we would take themes and characters from those stories and then put them in play into scenes. And then, you know, uh, explore the characters that were created or the settings that were created as a result of that, call those scenes back and revisit them. And hopefully we try to find like threads that run through it all that we can connect and tie together by the end of the whole thing. Which is why I say like failure doesn't matter because you can have a bunch of failures, but if if in the end you're able to like tie everything together and, and find some sense or some message or some sense out of it all, it's allowed to have flaws, just like a great rug you know, a great Persian rug, you know, is purposefully scarred in deference to God, you know, because nothing can be perfect. You know, it's all right if the improv isn't perfect, because there will be a perfect moral from it, or there will be a perfect tale or a character, something that pops out that was worthwhile. And that was the Armando, and that's what we would do. But my actual first performance on television was as a child in a game show. And I, I, I played ruthlessly against a good friend of mine, Jimmy. Um, it was this show called DB's Delight. And the host of the show was a puppet who had a mustache. And he'd be like, okay, we'll take a look at the cards. And then he would read the cards. And then Bobby Day, I think was his name, was the local DJ who would actually read the cards. And then DB, the puppet, would just, you know, spout off, you know, he would, you know, update the score and spout off about the, how, how well the kids are doing or make some joke about whatever trivia was involved in the question. That was the first time I ever appeared on television, and that, that would have been at, at about fifth grade, around the same time that I did that, my first play. Did you win? Did you beat Jimmy? I did. Yes. I won a $50 savings bond, which was worth <laughs> $25 six months later, and I cashed it out. <laughs> and I think we got a set of encyclopedias, but I'm not sure. 
sounds about right for a game show. Yeah. Yeah. It was a weekly game show for kids by a local TV station. They didn't have a huge budget. <laughs> you weren't going home with speedboat or something stupid yeah. like that, let's be honest. I, I used to watch it on Saturday mornings. It was, it was it was on like right after the cartoons were over. We used to always have Saturday morning cartoons. And then, you know, there would be some dance shows on some of the different channels, like, you know, American Bandstand and Soul Train. But DB's Delight would come on at about 2 p.m. on channel, I think it was channel four in St. Louis. Amazing. So that was the real. <laughs> and then later, um, when my touring company uh, was me and Tina Fey and Ali Farinakian, that was three of us. Uh, I think it was the three of us that appeared. It might have been some more. It might have been Francis and, and Rachel, too. But um, we appeared on a local um, telethon. In Chicago, I think it was for the Labor Day telethon or something like that. But when they like, I know we'll throw to Chicago for whatever, you know, local unit. Um, So, uh, yeah, we did a classic Second City sketch live and it didn't go over well because it was not an audience. There was just the studio workers and the people who were supposedly answering phones. So we weren't getting the laughter that we knew we would get if we were doing it live. Uh, But we did all right tough actually going from you know working on stage with audiences to fly to then as you say there's no audience that must be so hard to adjust to i think working in film and like single camera television is a little boring to be honest i can imagine there's no feedback yeah yeah. it is it is um and you have to do what you've done time after time after time. You have to do the wide shot. Then you have a two shot. Then you're over somebody's shoulder. Then it's over somebody else's shoulder. Then a close-up. Um, and you have to either keep it consistent or keep it new and interesting every time. And if you're keeping it too new and interesting, the, the shots won't match. So it's just for you. Um, and if it's too close to what you've done before, it becomes very, very boring very quickly. No matter how emotional or intense it is. I would much rather be working in front of a live audience on like a like a television show that's in front of a live audience or um, or being at a live event or doing a game show even uh, over over being on. You know, I had a lot of fun doing a show called This Is Us, where I was a mailman that made a bunch of people cry because I was so sad. Um, But it took a lot of work emotionally to get to that point. And. once I was there, I was like, oh, I have to do this again. I have to, you know, serve up this trauma again and again and again and again. Um, and I got some great recognition for it, which was wonderful. Um, but honestly, I do love the feedback from an audience, the instant feedback, the, the reaction mm. and what it brings out of me. Because your list is quite extensive, you know, Third Rock from the Sun, Galaxy Quest, ER, mm-hmm. so now that like you said, this is those Young Sheldon and the Jeffrey Dahmer mm-hmm. um, documentary. I mean, that's quite a that's quite a transition. <laughs> yes, going going from Young Sheldon to the Jeffrey Dahmer um, <laughs> documentary. <laughs> <laughs> that was there great. should be a world where the two of them exist in a wonderful way, where like <laughs> old Sheldon turns out to be a serial killer. <laughs> I can see it. And we see young Sheldon experimenting with hamsters and things. <laughs> what happened? He loves science, so you know. Yeah. One of my favorite <laughs> lines from, from the whole Dahmer monster, like it wasn't in my episode, but like uh, when they when they told him that he couldn't do um, 
uh, taxidermy anymore as a hobby. He was like, all right, I guess no more hobbies for me. <laughs> there was so much comedy, dark, dark, dark comedy in that incredibly chilling tale. It's great, great, great series. That was incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> honored to be a part of it. Let's say because you've done quite a variety, haven't you? Like drama, like this, this is us, but then you've done Young Shell, which is comedy, then you've gone to Serum like you can literally put your hand to anything. It doesn't matter what Yeah, it is. I've been very fortunate to work in both comedy and drama, um, both both live in front of an audience and on set, um, on film. Uh, and still have the opportunity to play in front of live audiences. I'm, I'm I'm really getting into being back in front of live audiences again. I think that's why I'm so that's why I'm so like you know uh, trying to trying to shove the camera in the closet right now because I it's just so good even if it's a small house small house late at night on an imp- in an improv theater somewhere it's just so good to be there with an ensemble working together trying to just create something out of nothing. Uh, and having it land with some people who came there out of curiosity on their night off. I suppose it's quite intimate as well. So it's oh, very intimate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which makes it even I better. did a show this last week that was so intimate there were only three actual audience members. <laughs> what? Yeah. Was that three seats? <laughs> no, there were like, you know, I would say, there, I'd say maybe it was a 50-seat theater or something like that. It was a very small black box okay. venue. And it was promoted very well. Um, just, you know, 10 p.m. Thursday in L.A. doesn't tend to garner a lot of audience. And apparently my name means nothing in this town. But uh, so we had, we had uh, it means a lot more when I go back to St. Louis, my hometown. But in L.A., you know, there's so many, so many different people of different varying levels of fame performing any one night that, you know, just one name isn't going to bring folks out. But um, yeah, so we just had fun. I was going to say, as long as those three people had a great time. Yeah. And even if there weren't three people, we would have had a great time. The best improv happens usually at a practice or um, in a class. Hmm. I suppose there's less pressure. There's too much pressure, too much pressure to keep the audience uh, entertained, laughing. Uh, people are, are less, they're, they're more risk averse when an audience is watching. I'm not. I'll, no. I'll let shit fail. <laughs> Brazenly. <laughs> there's no better feeling to make people laugh, though, I find. I always get such joy. Even if it's just one person. Just such yeah. joy out of saying one thing and they're just dead on the floor for like five minutes. It's absolutely fantastic. It's such a great thing. Yes. Yeah, and 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 the um the less work you have to put into for that laugh, the better. When it's just like a silence. Sometimes just just your you're holding off on having a response to somebody gets that big of a response. Oh my God. There's nothing there's no better feeling than hey, I barely lifted a finger and the audience won't quit laughing. Yeah. And then once someone gets going, someone else gets going, and then just it spirals. Yes. Right. Yeah. Love it. So there's a few, as you know, Tom was just saying you've worked on so many different projects, but for someone that loves improv, working on SNL must have been up there, like career highlight, I'd imagine. It really was. Um, you know, I, I had auditioned for SNL 
about three years prior to, to that and um, didn't get on. And because I was doing this impression that I did of Jackie Gleason taking a difficult crap. And um, okay, it's actually, if, if you want to hear more about it, there's a documentary called Too Funny to Fail on Hulu. It's really, really funny. Highly recommend it. And um, it, it tells the, the story in a bit more detail. But that was that was kind of the reason that I didn't get SNL because Lauren did not like that at all. And um, later I auditioned for the Dana Carvey show and Robert Smigel came out into the lobby and said, hey, Bill, will you do your um, Jackie Gleason taking a difficult crap? And I was like, I thought that's what ruined my SNL. And she goes, oh, yeah, it did. But I think Dana will think it's really funny because he knows what makes Lauren laugh and what Lauren hates. So he'll appreciate what's funny about it and he'll appreciate why Lauren didn't like it. I was like, okay, here we go. Uh, and I did it and that's what got me my callbacks and got everything. Um, so we, we, we did the ambiguously gay duo first on the Dana Carvey show. And, um, you know, the show was canceled rather unceremoniously. I was still living in New York. A bunch of my friends had just been hired to be on the show. I was very excited to see the next season. So uh, I went into my kitchen to get some more, some more, um, Coke and some popcorn, which is, that's my kind of tradition. I always have some Coke and popcorn and watch the season opener. Um, but um, before I got back from the, uh, from the kitchen, I heard my own voice on the television saying, this week's episode, it takes two to tango. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm on SNL. <laughs> that's how it happened. And then, you know, the next week or so, I get a call from the studio saying, oh, we need you to sign this paperwork because we just did we, we, we forgot to do that. I'm like, OK. Uh, and then I got paid exactly what I got paid for the first time it aired on the Dana Carvey show, which was great. And so they would have us come into the, um, you know, we went over to 30 Rock and recorded it there. Uh, did a couple more there when I was still living in New York. And then uh, when I moved out to L.A., of course, um, Steve Carell and I had moved out here and uh, the two of us would go to the Capitol Records building in Hollywood where Frank Sinatra once stood and sang. And we would, you know, say our silly lines into that microphone, probably not the <laughs> same microphone, but definitely you could tell by the how the wood was worn uh, on that same floor. <laughs> but, so SNL was playing clips from the Dana Carvey show. Uh, in that one instance, okay. and then late, uh, it, it, just for the ambiguously gay duo, and then they also took a sketch that um, that Dana did where he was Tom Brokaw doing um, a um, uh, an obituary for Gerald Ford, um, and that, that I think they talk about that in the uh, in the documentary as well. So I don't want to go over it in too too big a length, but. So he's he's recording all the uh, the options in case President Gerald Ford would die. Uh, they have the newscasters, you know, read all these different options, and they keep on, you know, and, and it builds. And so it was very funny, uh, and and just a, a shame that I, I think it I think it was in our our final episode that didn't air. And so uh, years later, when Dana hosted SNL, they did the sketch live, uh, pretty much as it was written um with uh you know 
pretty much the same graphics, I think, even uh, that he had the news nice. graphics that he had coming up behind him. Uh, and then later they, they took a sketch that, that Dino Stamatopoulos had written, a uh, great writer for Mr. Show, uh, that uh, Stephen Colbert and I had done where we were folk singers. And then later, um, because that one never aired either, uh, was performed by uh, David Cross and Bob Odenkirk on Mr. Show. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, a movie that you're pretty well known for, like I referenced it in the intro to the show because it's I absolutely love this movie, mm-hmm. is The Ringo with John, Johnny Knoxville. It's the wonderful Thomas. What was it like making that movie? Because I've heard many different reports over the years. Um, it was so cool. It started off, they, they brought us down there to Austin, Texas to, uh, to improvise on the script some. And Ricky Blit was very open to that. And the Fairley brothers were open to that. And Barry Blaustein, the director, you know, he had an, an SNL history. He was, you know, he was writing on, uh, SNL in the early seasons. And, um, so they all saw the value of improv. So the idea was for us to go down there to improvise to kind of immerse ourselves in the Special Olympics culture. So there were Special Olympians globally who were coming out to visit with us and do events. We had a bowling event. We had an event where we, uh, you know, uh, went down the river on a riverboat uh, and got to see the bats in Austin. There's these bats that hang out under this bridge. And then after sunset, they all fly out and you get to see it at sunset. It's gorgeous and haunting all at the same time. If you're ever in Austin, (laughs) Texas for like South by Southwest, um, insist on, on seeing the bats. Um, but there was just all these wonderful experiences. And then we had to train in all the Olympic events that we were going to be doing, um, on screen. So, you know, you see me doing hurdles incorrectly as Thomas, uh, in the movie, but I had to learn how to do it correctly so that I didn't hurt myself when I needed to do it incorrectly. And, uh, also we wanted to represent special Olympics and say like, you know, these are actual athletes who train, you know, at, at a competitive level. Uh, and we wanted to do that with full respect for Special Olympics because they had given us our, our, their blessing. And, um, you know, there was a Special Olympics uh, representative on set every day, if not multiple. And, um, you know, ever since that project, I've been involved with Special Olympics, not just because of the experience making the movie, but the experience that we had for those, I think it was two weeks. It felt like a month because I was in physical pain. I had I had never really trained athletically. I had been to gym <laughs> class, you know, but I was never on a sports team or anything like that. So I, I couldn't walk. My quadriceps were all torn up. My calves. I was like, ah, I have to walk up another hill. Because everything there in Austin is walking distance, so nobody bothers to take cabs or buses or anything. Oh, I was in pain. Um, and you know, just built some friends for life. So even before we started working on it, it was the experience of a lifetime and then doing it, you know, our, our kickoff party, I, I met Dean Stanton, Woody Harrelson. They were still in town shooting other stuff. Cause they're like, you know, Austin royalty, um, Greg Kinnear. Um, it was just, so it was, it was, um, really was the experience of a lifetime shooting that movie. I, can imagine. I think a lot of people are quite quick to be like, oh, this is taking the piss. This is ridiculous. Blah, blah, blah. Everyone has their opinion, don't they? 
before they actually oh, yeah. take the time to actually study it and watch it properly and actually, you know, find out what's about it straight in. Like, no, I'm not having that. Yeah. The great part about that is none of the Special Olympics families complained that I'm aware of because in advance of the movie, even before it was released, they had Special Olympics events in every city where they would do a screening of it and, you know, listen very closely to people's feedback. And, you know, even before we went into production, there was so much input from Special Olympians themselves and the Global Messengers. I later went on to do um, uh, improv training for a lot of the Global Messengers for Special Olympics. Um, which was a joy and really fun. And we had a competitive improv event, which is really cool at Lake of the Ozarks back in St. Louis or back in Missouri. Um, but um, yeah, it was, um, there, there were people who, who weren't aware of what the movie was, hadn't cracked open the script or hadn't watched it that had a lot negative to say. But I get hugs from Special Olympians and their families to this day. Uh, out of love and respect for that movie. Because it is. It's so respectful and it's hilarious and it's full of heart. And it's like whenever yeah. anyone mentions John in Oxford, my first thing after we took the jackass talk is, have you seen The Ringer? Because it's just yeah. brilliant. You have to watch this film. Yeah. <laughs> but was there any concern? I know, you know, going into it, it had that, we you know, we're going to treat it with respect. We're going to make sure everyone... But- was there ever like concern that you were going to offend someone? Not, maybe not from you personally, but you know, from the people making the film, like, are we going to offend anyone? Was it sort of treading on eggshells or was it, no, people are going to love this. Let's go for it. I think, I think they knew, I think, you know, the Fairley brothers don't care who they offend. Johnny Knoxville doesn't care who he offends. Jerry no, Blaustein came to the project with such heart that it, I don't think it ever entered his mind that anybody could be in the right and be offended by this movie. And so, and I went into it knowing what I knew about my character, because I had been doing a character, you know, under a different name, that character, I've been doing that character since I was in high school. Um, His name was Frederick, but those were the same glasses. I found those glasses at a secondhand store, put them on, and almost immediately became that character, Um, which was an amalgam of, you know, people that I knew or people that I had volunteered with or, you know, people that I had met or seen. And I always played him respectfully. And, you know, people would laugh so hard because they were like, I can laugh at this because he's always high status. He's always making other people look foolish. Um, So I, I knew going in. So like, some some of the actors were, you know, when they were around the Special Olympics families would kind of like stay in character. And I didn't feel that was authentic to me because also because I couldn't see through those glasses. I had to take them off. <laughs> but um, sometimes they would stay in character so they weren't like outed as somebody who was, you know, um, mocking or pretending to be uh, to have a disability. Um, but I wasn't. I was, you know really open about it take off take off the glasses you know rub my eyes a little bit and lean lean hard into the really fun conversations i would have with special olympians and their parents i love that i love it i like i I just love how you know you went into this being like no these people are amazing and i'm going to make sure everyone knows that these people are amazing and continued that with the spread the word campaign it's mm-hmm. phenomenal. It is absolutely phenomenal. I respect the living hell out of you for it, so it's incredible. Thank you. I was so happy to do that back in my home state. 
to um, to travel all around to rural high schools where, you know, the mindset is there was even a principal of one of the schools who passed on having an assembly. They passed on having me and a special Olympian come to speak to the students. Uh, and I would usually make the kids laugh a lot. It was better than your average assembly. Um, but uh, he refused and, and we were like, why? And he goes, because they don't they won't, don't want people to say, you know, and I'll say the word now just for edification for people who aren't familiar, but he said, um, you know, they, because they don't want people to say the word retarded and that's what those people are. That was his mindset. And we were telling people, you know, we were spreading the word to end the R word so that kids wouldn't say, you know, wouldn't say that a person was that or an idea was that or this dance is that because it was, you know, making light of somebody's humanity. Wow. And so that that's when it, you know, even though it was like insulting to hear that and it made my heart ache. It also let me know that's the reason why we're here, because people are still thinking that way. And we need we need to start young. We need to let kids know early because, you know, kids kind of naturally want to fit in. They'll do anything to fit in. If they see other people are doing something, they'll do it too, whether they think it's right or wrong or not. So that was important. Completely agree. And wow, the fact that that man is in charge of people's education is really Mm -hmm. big. Yes, it is. But I suppose the other thing you're most known for, and is the complete opposite end of the spectrum to Thomas, and that is the Disney show Wizards of Waverly Place as Mr. Mr. Larite, alongside a very young Selena Gomez. Yeah. Is, is this the role that you're probably most known for? I would say most often I'm recognized for that. When I go on uh, TikTok Live and, and do TikToks, um, People usually, oh, Mr. Larry, hey, Mr. People say, like, should I wear my shirt up or down or eye contact or something like that? One of the lines from The Ringer. And I'll be like, all right, now I know my people. And most often when I get a request on Cameo, when people want me to send a birthday greeting or something like that on Cameo, um, they'll say, um, can you can you please do Thomas? They'll pro- They'll ask me to do Thomas for them or say something about, you know, one of the quotes. So, um, yeah, it's like there's there's different different niches that that know me from one or the other. I think overall people know me from Wizards of Waverly Place, but there is a pocket of people who are diehard Ringer fans, and they let me know it. <laughs> I love how opposite ends of the spectrum they are. It's great. Yeah, was this the first kids show that you've worked on? Um. You know, I kind of believe it was, yeah, because I had, uh, later on, I did an episode of Kicking It, which was another Disney show, and it wasn't until later that I did voices for um, Curious George, the animated series. Yes. I do the voice, I do the voice of um, the, the doorman who's like, hello, Mr. Hello, Mr. Yellow Hat. Oh, that was Hey, George, <laughs> we're going into the city today. And then suddenly the dog. <laughs> That's phenomenal. I used to watch so much Curious George and my daughter, so that was just amazing to me to hear that. (laughs) Yeah. I have two. She was not interested. My daughter. (laughs) Oh, it was like no interest in seeing me on the screen. Some of my favorite memories covered a lot with my daughter, just watching Curious George. She's still got her teddy from back in the day. She will never get rid of it. She's like 11 years old. That's going nowhere. But for my daughter, it was um, 
Daniel Tiger. Oh God, I know that one. Yeah, she, she loved that. Yeah, my other daughters made me watch that plenty on YouTube, and yeah, it's mm-hmm. not for me that one. <laughs> I just get the theme song stuck in my head. Yeah. <laughs> With Wizarding, were you going? Were you nervous going into this? As you know, it's your first kids show, but not now. It's Disney, you know. Yeah, it's it's quite a lot of pressure there. I imagine working on a Disney show. Oddly enough, there was there was no pressure whatsoever that I felt. Um, I was I was hired very quickly. I, I I did the audition, and before I left the lot, they got a call asking for my availability. Uh, and they said I was one of the quickest people ever hired for a Disney show. Wow. Um, I was out of town. I wasn't I wasn't there to audition for that show. I was supposed to be auditioning for a different movie. And they, they said, while you're there, could you please read for this Disney thing? And I was like, no, I don't have time for it. It's a, it's a one-time guest spot, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. And they said, well, they didn't say it was recurring, but it could. I was like, listen, my, my, my cousin just passed away. I'm dealing with grief. And I really need to focus on this big movie audition. And um, it was all about Steve. <laughs> the movie with, um, uh, oh, why am I forgetting her name? Anyway, it was all about Steve. And um, I didn't get that project, but I did get Wizards of Waverly Place. And it turned into a gig that ran for five years. But you're glad you went back now. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah, there's <laughs> a, a podcast for it as well, isn't there? Was it a Waverly Place pod? Yes, yeah. Uh, David Deloise and Jennifer Stone just started the Wizards of Waverly pod, and uh, people can listen to us all talk about our favorite episodes, behind the scenes stories, and uh, and answer fans' questions. So fans of the fans of the show can ask questions, and they get answered right there on the podcast. That's absolutely amazing. So I don't know where exactly it is in the pecking order, but whose line is it anyway? Is that above SNL or is it below? Like, and how come you haven't been on it? Uh, I've never been on uh, whose line. There's so many great performers that I know who have been on it. Um, I think I think as far as you know, if there's a, I, it's so tough to like evaluate improv and, and put a pecking order or a judgment because then then all of a sudden you're immediately stepping out of what improv asks of you, which is not to judge or evaluate. Um, but if you wanted to say like, you know, what is, what is the level of hipness and cool? I would definitely see, say, at least over here, SNL is, you know, above, uh, who's line, but I would also say there's a whole generation of improvisers, myself included, who learned so many of those improv games that, you know, we use as the basis for everything that we create with. Uh, from the original Who's Line, the the British Who's Line that was uh, syndicated over here on Comedy Central. Uh, and that had more, I think, a little bit more hipness and cachet to it, even though a lot of the improvisers were the same people, just because it was, you know, for 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 uh, for a British audience. I don't know, maybe, maybe your audiences are a bit more high-minded and get some, you know, uh, a little bit more of the literary references and cultural references, historical references, things like that. So uh, at that point, it definitely was demanding more of my attention than SNL was. But I think in terms of overall cachet right now, I think SNL kind of like holds holds that key, but there's, there's so many other things that, you know, are considered hipper than that, 
that I'm I'm not even aware of, you know? Yeah. Yeah, okay, man. So obviously doing your work as a character actor, we mentioned earlier some of like the incredible shows that you'd worked on, ER, Young Sheldon, Monk, CSI, we could go on. Were there any shows that you really wish you could have either returned to or stayed on a bit longer? You'd like really enjoyed what you did or you really enjoyed that character? I was surprised that they didn't have me back for more on This Is Us. Mm. I was really, really, really surprised because it had such an impact. And I was trending on Twitter. And and if you if you look up on Google, played the mailman on, boom, you get a, thousands of searches for Bill Cott, you know? That's how many people wanted to know who I was and who did it. And uh, even Yvette Nicole Brown from Community uh, and so many other wonderful projects let people know who I was on Twitter. Uh, completely wonderfully and selflessly. And she's a wonderful human being. Um, so I was really surprised that they didn't have me back on that. Um, I would have um, I would have loved to be back more on Young Sheldon because they had me in there as the dean um and uh the, i've actually been on there three different times the first time i was uh, i was the manager at a red lobster on the daddy daughter date at red lobster and uh, they cut so much of me out of there that it, nobody would notice me making a reappearance and so uh they had me back as the dean and we shot that during the pandemic we had to have the um the face shields on and masks and all the precautions with distance and everything. And then they reused some of that footage in another episode for some reason. Uh, and I didn't get paid as much. <laughs> oh. so, so I've been on the show three different times. I would have, I would have liked to have been on there as the Dean and, and to be, you know, um, if for no other reason than to, to hang out with my buddy Lance who plays his dad. Uh, Lance has always made me feel very welcome on that set and, you know, introduced me around and let me know the, the, the tricks of the craft service table and all kinds of fun <laughs> stuff like that. I love that on Young Sheldon, you went from like manager of Reb's Lobster to the Dean. It's almost like your own life where you went from working at a pizza place yes. to a bank. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'd like to pretend it was typecasting. It was typecasting. <laughs> In my imagination, now, that is just the same person. <laughs> he, he literally went yep. from Red Lobster to working in the D. Yeah, it literally was. <laughs> but at the same time, though, saying that, is there any like actors or directors you've worked with? You're like, I really want to work with that guy again. Um, well, I would love to work with Barry Blaustein again, who was the uh, the director of um, um, The Ringer. I would love to work with the Farrelly brothers. They were great as producers uh, and very involved in the project. Um, I would love to work, I'd love to work with Robert Smigel again, who was the exec producer of, um, of the Danny Carvey show. Um, I would love to work with Peter Murrieta, who was the exec producer of, um, um, Wizards of Waverly Place. Uh, we met for coffee a couple weeks ago. It was wonderful. Um, I miss that guy. I miss working with him. Um, so in terms of like the the writers and I would love to be on another Ricky Blitz screenplay who wrote The Ringer. Um, so many. God, I'd, I'd love to work with everybody that I've worked with in the past. In terms of, you know, other actors that I've worked with previously that I'd love to work again, love to work with David DeLuise. He and I really have a great chemistry. Love to work with Selena again. 
um, you know, of course, the whole damn cast of Wizards, wonderful people, and I would love to work with all of them. Um, I would love to work with um, um, Jeff Arend, who played, um, um, uh, he was in the ring, he, he said the famous line about the ice cream. Winston, Winston <laughs> is the character's name. When the fuck did we get ice cream? He improvised that line. Um, and he's not necessarily an improviser. He does improv, but he's a great classically trained actor. You know, he was like, he was in Mother Night with Meryl Streep at the Public Theater in New York. That's the sort of actor he is. Um, I would love to work with Jeffrey again. Uh, I would love to work with Jed Rees, Leonard Howes. That, what a giant, that man is just one big giant heart. Um, and we haven't had a chance to spend time together or, or perform together or anything in a long, long, long time. Um, you know, those are, those are some of the biggies. God, I would love to do sketch comedy with Dana Carvey again. That would be amazing. Stephen Colbert, my first improv teacher, would love to work with him again. Steve Carell, that would be awesome. Heather Morgan, who was also on the show with us. Dino Stamatopoulos, one of the funniest writers I've ever had the pleasure of, of writing with. And um, it was pleasure laying in bed and having him stroke my arm with a Nixon mask on. Uh, that, that was for a sketch. That was for a sketch called Nixon's on Dana Carvey Show. But um, that, that's the level of insanity that that man reaches. Um. <laughs> yeah, those are also amazing people. You you say about wanting to work the people. The list the list is so long. I'm gonna start making a wish list, and and then by the time I'm done working with all of them, I'll be done with this podcast. Five years later, <laughs> listing all the people I would love to work with. You you say that about wanting to work the people for Wizards of Waverly Place again. Disney Plus is a thing now, and they keep doing these reunion things on there. Let's get it on there. Let's go. Let's make it. Let's pitch it. Everyone here. Yeah, tweet, I know. Tweet Disney. Um, that's the. Yeah. And follow me on TikTok at Bill Cott because I'm the person talking about it the most. Every time I go live, people, and I'm, I'm the only cast member that goes live as often as I do. But they'll, you know, every time I do a live, when's the reboot? Hey, what about a reboot? Reboot, please. That's most of the comments when I go live. And if I had anything to say about it, yeah, I'm not even sure if I would be included in it, you know, because <laughs> they're not going to be in school anymore. I could be their neighbor. They, they could have some weird reason why I'm around, but I would love that. Oh, you got to be there. You got to be there. Uh, maybe they're still living in that building that I lived in with them. Who knows? But, um, uh, yeah, I know everybody involved in it wants to do it. Um, I don't know if Peter Murrieta would want to be a part of it or not. Because he kind of like severed relations with the show in in the last season or so. Um, Todd Greenwald, the creator, I know, wants to do it. Um, so, um, I don't I don't know what's what the what the drawback is, but it could be that they want to be the last one to do a reboot. So it's not like the first one jumping on the train to reboot. They want people begging for it for about 10 years and then to drop with all the ceremony and the full court press and make it happen. I hope they don't do it as a movie. It should be a season live in front of an audience. That's how I feel it should be. Absolutely. <laughs> an audience of only fans, not just like <laughs> filling the audience, you know, 
people have to win a lottery to get a seat in that <laughs> studio. But I want, I want my list of demands is high. I've, I've noticed, and I have explosives at my disposal. <laughs> I'm sorry, I missed what you said when I was talking about explosives. <laughs> I'm too scared now. No, I was gonna. <laughs> I was going to say, before we start wrapping up, I did want to mention, you know, you mentioned it yourself earlier, you do have your own improv school, the improv trick. But what made you want to start your I own do, school? and we're, we're, offering, we're offering corporate improv classes, classes for organizations, and sometimes an, an occasional master class. We used to offer uh, weekly classes, and um, my career is such at the point that I, 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 can't, um, I can't afford to to teach uh, weekly classes and be there in person every week or, you know, and the demand every time I've tried to have assistant teachers doesn't work out the same way. So uh, for now, uh, classes are on suspension and we're doing classes for corporations, master classes for actors who want to uh, invest in uh, their careers and learn more about the professional business. I love that you want to skip But improv is for everybody. Everybody can learn improv. And that's that's the message behind the corporate workshops. That's awesome. What are you saying, Tom? Sorry, I was just going to say, you're passing on your knowledge. Like, you're passing on teaching to the next generation of improv, you know, students and whatnot. And be like, this is what I learned, and now you all learn it. And then you'll teach someone else, and then they'll teach someone else, et cetera. I love that you're passing your knowledge down. Thank you. We're um, We're also forming a nonprofit called Camp We Can Too. And it's for uh, kids with all abilities to be able to study improv and, and movement, dance, you know, making short films, things like that, um, which we're, uh, we're about to start up here in the next, uh, next quarter. Incredible. That is awesome. What made you want to start teaching in the first place, just out of interest? Um. The reason I started teaching was because it was just offered to me as an option at Second City when I was um, a performer. They would have us do a show for a corporation or something like that and say, oh, and while you're there, we want you to teach a two-hour workshop at Improv. And I was like, I, I, don't, I don't know how to do that. And they said, here, just do these 10 exercises. I'm like, oh, I know those 10 exercises. Okay. And I, and I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. It's fun watching people, watch it click with some people. And then in 2005... Uh, I was still doing a lot of corporate workshops and teaching improv for corporations. But in 2005, uh, my wife at the time said, um, why don't you teach? And I was, why don't you all, why don't you teach for yourself? And I said, well, you know, I don't really, um, um, I, I could teach at Second City or Improv Olympic out here, but it would be a lot of my time and, and investment for very little money. Uh, and she said, well, what if you start your own thing? So I started my own thing. Um, and um, for many years, it was it was a way to make some extra income and also to grow my passion as a teacher. And I have loved every minute of it. Um, it just doesn't make it, it's not in alignment right now with, with my goals and my time to offer classes on a weekly basis. That's fair enough. You know, everyone's got things yeah. on in life. Rather, yeah. instead of but if I could, if if I could bring it to kids of different abilities, and I could bring it to corporations, I'll be very happy still having an outlet for that passion. It's beautiful. I love it, Bill. This has been so much fun. One last question from myself, though. Mm-hmm. I know this is like asking you to pick a like a favorite child, but if you were looking back at your career and the amazing work you've done, 
is there a particular project or piece of work that you feel that extra bit of pride something that you know it was like a great day at the office that you'd suggest people to go check out mm-hmm. i would definitely say it's the ringer hmm. it was you know one of the best experiences of my life working on um more people should see it and know about it and know about the message uh if there's any character that i could revisit uh it would be that one i don't think it'd be appropriate anymore um Mm. to have me play a character with a disability because i think it's more appropriate to have an actor now that it's been proven by so many actors with disabilities that they're very, very capable of doing it themselves. And it's not going to slow down the workload and it's not going to cost the studio extra time or money. And if it does, it's quality money and quality time being invested. Um, But, you know, for all those reasons, you know, I love the character. I love the film. That would be the one. I really want to go watch that film again now. It's been a little while. (laughs) <laughs> Mr. Stevens, do you have any more questions for our glorious guest? I do, Bill. When mm-hmm. you first started out back as a child, you know, you wanted to be an acting, you were in theatre, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever think that your life would spiral the way it has done and get to, to where you are today? I, what The life I'm living right now is definitely not the life that I expected. I didn't know what it would be. I, I thought maybe I'd be on Broadway. <clears throat> I didn't know that I'd be married twice. Um, I didn't know. um, I didn't know I'd start an improv school. Never imagined that as a kid. Never thought I'd be a teacher of any kind. Um, I didn't. I didn't expect most of the wonderful things that have happened in my life. Um, You know, I always wanted to voice cartoons. Never knew what the path to that was. I need to find the pathway back into that too, because I haven't done it in a long time. And now that I'm, um, you know, back here in Los Angeles full time, and I have more time to dedicate to my career, I would really love to do more of that. Uh, but I, I didn't, you know, the Dana Carvey show is what handed me a voiceover career. When I did the ambiguous gay duo, other other opportunities came after that because that was my calling card. So it wasn't that that was something that was handed to me that I didn't even didn't even really. Uh, apply much focus to. So, had a lot of wonderful things happen in my life that I didn't expect, didn't ask for, and and felt feel extremely blessed by. Beautiful, Bill. Have you got any plugs, websites, social medias, things you want people to go check out who are listening to this? Sure, I would love it if we can get some more followers to follow me over there on TikTok at Bill Cott. C-H-O-T-T is the way you spell that last name. And maybe you can put that link on your website. Um, Also, the improv trick for corporations and organizations or entire countries that would like to have me come over there and teach some improv workshops, private workshops for them. Uh, Or uh, people who are interested in um, joining up with Camp We Can Too, uh, our nonprofit that's going to be teaching classes for disabilities for kids of all ages. They can just go to theimprovtrick.com and let us know there. Uh, we're still working on building that website. But theimprovtrick.com is the best way to get in touch with me. Beautiful. And may I recommend everyone go check out Bill's YouTube channel because there's some great characters and improv on there. Always in stitches watching some of those. Oh, thank you. There'll be a lot more on my YouTube soon. I'm going to be 
downloading a lot of the lives that I've done on uh, on TikTok and Facebook and and sharing those, editing them down slightly, and then sharing those on the YouTube channel. So yeah, please do subscribe to the YouTube channel, Bill Cott, C-H-O-T-T. <laughs> this has been so much fun. I've absolutely loved it. I want to have you back again. I would love to come back again. There's so much more to cover. And if there's any way I can help you guys out, you let me know. Appreciate that, Bill. Thank you so much. Hope you get to Pasadena, okay? Take care of yourself. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care, Bill. What a fantastic conversation. I loved this so much. It's so inspirational. And it's it's just beautiful. And just to see a man love the legacy from his father and to really embrace that. Yeah, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful. This is a really good conversation. Bill, thank you so much for taking the time out to sit and chat with us. We really enjoyed it, and we really appreciate you taking the time out. So we look forward to talking to you again in the future, um, and we hope you got to your destination. I think you were going to Pasadena. Um, so hopefully you got there on time, yeah. So this is all all good. Um, and we really hope that you all enjoy listening to it, as much as we did recording it. It's about getting into schools and talking to young people because, you know, I, I know that people can change uh, and, it, and it's about talking to people and getting them to understand and perhaps step back from violence and, and prejudice and whatever. And we just need to work together and keep on the good fight there. Absolutely. Hey there guys, we are ecstatically happy to announce that we are associated with the Sophie Lancaster Foundation. The times are changing and with the unfortunate death of Sophie, Those changes have made a massive impact for the future. If Sophie was with us still today, I can guarantee what you are doing will still be reaching so many lives of young teenagers, young adults, and those who wish to be as different as possible. So thank you very much. To find out more about this incredible foundation and all the work they do, and more importantly, how you can help, head on over to www.sophielancasterfoundation.com. Mr. Stevens. Mm, kind, I didn't, didn't really get... It got ah, narrow, so. Fuck! But sorry, did you want to go again? Oh, no, it's fine. This hard, no. I went for like no, memories from cats as well. Go on. Me- it's the Stevens. Loads better. Yes, sir. It's only participation time. Participate, bitch. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to participate in Jamie's participation challenge. This week, I said, we all love it when our favourite artists get together to create great music. Brian Adams and Mel C, anyone? So this week we asked, what are your dream music collaborations? Which artists would you love to see work together? What say you, Mr. Stevens? Baby, when you're gone. What a song that is. Fucking tune. It's on my playlist. It has been for years. Don't get me started. Good collaborations. Do you know what? It's so funny. I always look at everybody else's. I never think of one of myself. Same. I couldn't think of one this week. Say we can fly. Oh, who would I have him with? Jeff Goldblum. Oh my god, that would be incredible. 
that would if be Goldblum incredible. does make music, so it's doable. He does. He does. He was in he was in London uh, a week or two ago because his new album came out. Oh, I don't think we could top that. End of the segment. <laughs> you can't top that. I'm sure you can. I'm sure you absolutely can. <laughs> what have we got here? Let's get some audience answers because I genuinely couldn't think of anything either. What about you? You can't I, think of anything. I couldn't think of anything. I was really struggling. Paul like, Stanley. And... He's the first person my brain went to, to be fair. But I, was just like, I don't know. This is quite hard when I think about it. Iggy Pop? No? Yeah. Bruce Dickinson? Bruce Dickinson could be good. James Hetfield? James Hetfield and Miley Cyrus. I reckon that would sound great. They're both oh got quite God, gruffy don't. voices. I reckon that would sound brilliant. The fucking Twitterverse would lose their <laughs> shit. Jesus. What do you mean, Miley Cyrus is making a song with Metallica? Fuck off. It's bullshit. Oh, I don't up. care what anyone says. Miley Cyrus has a fantastic voice. So that, yeah, true. That, or you'll get fair play to Miley giving Metallica a career. <laughs> Looking at you, Post Malone fans, you fuckers. And Have Kanye West with Paul McCartney. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot about that one. Fuck it. No. Oh, Never them. Makes me sad. It makes me sad that people aren't just, at, you know, let's have some proper education rather than photo fucking synthesis. Yeah, because that gets me through my tax returns and fucking March. I think they go through music. <laughs> sure. I know. I, it's just an amalgamation of bollocks. Sorry, I was just trying to be funny. <laughs> let's get some audience answers. Answers. Like, yeah, answers. Yeah, answers. Answers. Joe Tyler says, I would love to hear Judas Priest and Saxon together. Just so much British metal. Oh, never, that. never listened to either, so I have no idea what that'd be like. It'd be fantastic. That's what it'd be. Ruben Spry, this I can't picture it in my head, but I want to know. And he says, "This is a genuine answer. I'm not taking the piss. I want to hear Mushuga and Radiohead." Uh, no idea. I know what Radiohead sound like, obviously, but Mushuga, I have no clue. Just screamy, shanty death metal. I reckon he could be interested. I'd be down for that. I'm um, a creep. Beth Adair says, Corrupt FM and Ali G. Like that could be fucking hilarious. I don't know who Corrupt FM are. Sorry. Oh, I, Sorry, I, Beth. I can't remember what they're off, but I, they are funny. John Well, John Weldon, Napalm Death, and Nick Knowles. Did you imagine Napalm Death a DIY SOS? Yeah, that'd be incredible. That'd be amazing. Nick Knowles does have a music career, so it is doable. Does he? He does. And oh, it's fuck. fucking dreadful. But he There's does so have many. Much... There's so. Did you know? Did you know the actor who plays Mike Novick, Jude Cock? I can never say his surname in Twenty Four. Hmm. Do you know he has a music career? Does he? He has albums on Spotify. Yes, he does. Amazing. Is it good? <laughs> I've never ventured. I've never ventured, Jamie, <laughs> if I'm quite honest. But my brother says no. <laughs> uh, Callum Rolo. This answer really made me laugh. And Abba and Ghost, because they're pretty much the same thing anyway. <laughs> Are they? <laughs> It's one of those I've never really thought that, but now I'm f- when when you think about it, they kind of are just like a hard rock ABBA. Really... I want to dance with you in the moonlight. See, it's... <laughs> I'm trying to think. I'm just trying to think of how he sounds. 
Like yeah. that? To be fair, actually does, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's Ava and Ghost are the fucking same. <laughs> oh. Jerry Keane says, Elton John playing piano with Alice in Chains was pretty cool. Did this happen? I've never heard of this It must before. have done. It must have done. Fucking like Ireland gets some mental... Yeah, Ireland gets some mental shit, don't they, over there? So I maybe like it's it. a thing. I like it. Stuart Edwards, Bjork, and Mike Patton from Faith No More. That would be brilliant, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> I'd like to hear that. <laughs> Kirsty Darby. This is one I would love to hear. I think this would make the internet explode. Stevie Nicks and Hayley Williams from Paramore. Fuck yes. Give me all of that. Definitely like the sound of that. Graham Arnold. My dream music collaboration would be all of the punk rock and metal bands all teaming up like Live Aid and just beating Justin Bieber to death with their instruments. Now, we don't support violence on this show, Graham Arnold. No, sorry, Graham. We can't, but... So basically, Graham wants to hear every single pop, metal and punk band with Justin Bieber. Yes. Interesting. His screams of pain on the vocals, apparently. But yes... I get it, Graham. I get it. I don't get it. <laughs> Mally Malpass. Me and a really famous band, so then I can get rich and famous. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I like that. Good logic. I like it. Genius move, Malpass. Genius move. Genius move. Becky Westwood, the wife, got involved. She said, my, fan- my dream collaboration actually happened. And that is when Within Temptation did a collaboration with the former singer of Nightwish. And it's a very good song. So there we go. That one that actually happened. She dreamed it would happen, and it did. The, one, the thing that scared me the most then was when you said fantasy. And I was like, whoa, whoa, hang on. <laughs> we're not, we're not, oh. That's next week's uh, question. No, no. Let's calm down. We're not even here next week. <laughs> week after. <laughs> Two left. Mr. Ryan Williams. So music is something that I like, but for some reason I will easily forget who sings the song. I get that. I do it quite often. So let's see if I can answer this without making myself look stupid. Johnny Cash and Stevie Nicks. Yes, that would sound incredible together. Oh, Cash. Genius shout. Tupac Shakur and Johnny Cash. That could be very interesting. Okay. I like that. Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Sterling. I know the name Lindsey Sterling, but my brain is going blank on who that is. No idea. I feel like I'm going to Really be annoyed with myself. Dax. He's mentioned this artist called Dax quite a few times. I do know who he is. I don't know who he is. He said to go check him out on YouTube. He says, do yourself a favor and look up Joker, Antidepressant, or Dear Alcohol by Dax on YouTube. So everyone listening, go listen to Ryan Williams' suggestion because it's Ryan Williams. He can say and do no wrong. But he says Dax and Snoop Dogg. Tom Petty and Johnny Cash. There's a lot of Johnny Cash here. Lindsey Sterling and Tom Petty. Jeffro Tull and Lindsey Sterling and Eminem and Dax. So I'm guessing Dax is a rapper. That sounds I'm like. going to guess Dax is a rapper, yes. So I'm going to go check out Dax after this because if Ryan Williams suggests it, it's going to be good. And last but not least, because this made this answer made me do some really weird laugh snort. Don't know what fuck noise came out of my face when I read it. It made me laugh that much. And that's Dean Salmon. With Cannibal Corpse duetting with SpongeBob SquarePants singing the best day ever. I need to fucking hear this. I, just, <laughs> I need to hear this so bad. That's obviously on YouTube somewhere then. It's got to be. I need to fucking hear this because it just sounds incredible. 
Thanks, Dean. I appreciate your answers every week, my friend. <laughs> well, that's it here. Um, but no, seriously, thank you to absolutely everybody that participated in Jamie's Participation Challenge. We do appreciate you more than you could ever possibly imagine. Uh, so thank you so much. And thank you for everyone that listens to the show. If you enjoy Callum's Treachings, Tom's Journal, the wanky, shitty, arsey bollocks we talked at the beginning, and the interview, then you can join the other 80 editions of the Chronicles of Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from. Google, Spotify, Apple. I know, 80 is pretty mental, to be fair. I never thought we'd ever be saying it, to be honest. We seem to get to 50 and stop. <laughs> uh where was I? Oh, yeah, you can also find us on the old YouTube at the Chronicles of Podcast. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Thank you to all 190 of you so far that have subscribed. It means the fucking world. We are 10 away from 200. We'd really like to hit that big 200. Uh, and then keep going. Basically, we want to hit three, four, five, a thousand, etc. And we want to go until we can have no more. Until we've got every single person in the stratosphere. That'd be absolutely fantastic. Yeah, basically, yeah. Um, you can find all of our interviews are on there. All of our shows are on there. All of our hashtag WWBW Wayback Wednesdays are on there. All of our live Bloodstock interviews are on there. Our Bloodstock vlog is on there. And our Dublin Crust vlog is also on there as well. So please come and enjoy all those. Um, hit the bell to get notified when a new video is released. Subscribe to the pod- Subscribe to the YouTube channel and comment, comment, comment. You can also find us on Facebook at The Chronicles of Podcast. Make sure you come and like us on there. Share us with all your mates. Jamie, thinking about it whilst you're on Facebook and YouTube, etc. Where else could you find us? You could find us sitting down and going through all of our wonderful guests' back catalogue. I definitely suggest watching The Ringer because it's fucking hilarious. Or you could find us on the Twitter at TCOPod. And whilst you're going through Bill's IMDb and finding us on Twitter, Jamie, where else could you find us? Well, I know where you'll find me sunning it up in O Española. Yeah, if you didn't know, Jamie's going to Spain. <laughs> and you can find us on the Instagram at TCOPod. You can find us on LinkedIn at the Chronicles of Podcast. Come and connect with us on there. Um, you can find us on TikTok at TCOPod. So come and find us on there uh, and go watch Jamie's Chesney Hawks video because I could never recommend that facial expression enough to anybody, Jamie, if I'm quite honest with you. So definitely go and do that. Uh, or you can come and find us on our beautifully brand spankingly sexy and new little website at www.thechroniclesofpodcast.com. Uh, you can find out all about us on there. All of our episodes and shows are on there. Our affiliations and sponsors are on there. And our beautiful little shop is on there as well. You can get yourself a Chronicles of Podcast t-shirt hoodie. Uh, and there's plenty of other t-shirts to get on there as well. So please come check it out. Uh, make sure you follow us on all the socials. Subscribe to us on YouTube. And uh, thanks very much for listening. We're so sorry we're not here next week. You will miss us. But we'll be back. We'll be back. But before we get out of here, let's say a massive thank you to a few of our friends, shall we? First and foremost, every piece of music you hear on this show is brought to you by one man. And that one man's name is Matt Roberts. Go check him out on all the social medias at Matt Roberts Music. Make sure you're following him on Spotify, on YouTube, wherever you get your music from. He has an amazing back catalogue to check out including his brand new album, Light of Day. It's been out for a couple of weeks now. And if you haven't listened to it yet, why not? We're not here next week. You've got plenty of time to be checking out Matt Roberts' back catalogue. I want no excuses from any of you. Go check it out because it's fantastic. And of course, we have to say a massive thank you to Mr. Braden Barry and his Stay Cozy Clothing. Head on over to www.staycozyclothing.com or download the smartphone app. Have a look at that site. 
see what tickles your pickle and add it to your basket. It could include this T-shirt that I'm wearing right here. It could include that cap that Tom's wearing right there. There's some brand new lines coming very, very soon. So make sure you're following Stay Cozy Clothing on all of the social medias so you know when they are released. And what's there now is currently on sale. Get a bit of a cheeky discount. And if you want an even more of a discount, enter that discount code, The Chronicles, at checkout. Get 10% off your order. It's a little favour from Braden to you because you listen to this show and we massively appreciate it. And if you want to send some love back to Braden, make sure you are checking out Say We Can Fly on wherever you get your music from, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever it may be. Go check out that brand new album, Beneath the Roses. It gets a certified superb from me. It is absolutely amazing album. Can't recommend it enough. So go check out that right now. And last but not least, it's the Sophie Lancaster Foundation, stamping out prejudice, hatred and intolerance everywhere. And I mean everywhere. This is not something that is set in the UK. This happens all over the world. Last week I mentioned there was a fundraising concert event in Canada. That's how far this thing spreads. Sophie's message is that damn important. So no matter where you are from, head on over to www.sophielancasterfoundation.com. Click on that hate crime tab and fill in that questionnaire because we need as much evidence as we can to send to those courts to say that people are being judged. They are being treated differently and unfairly simply because of the music they listen to and the way they dress and the way they choose to identify and represent themselves out in the world. It should not be happening in 2023. It shouldn't been happening in 2007. So how about we put this to an end right now and we make sure that the alternative subculture gets classed as a hate crime like it so rightly deserves. We cannot wait to be working with the foundation in the summer, at the festival season, throughout the whole year. We've got some incredible plans lined up. We can't wait to announce them. Hopefully we can start announcing some of those very, very soon. But in the meantime, like I said, head on over to sophielancasterfoundation.com. Do whatever you can to support. Buy a T-shirt like Tom's wearing. Buy a hoodie. Buy a wristband. Donate whatever you can or even just share it. There might be people out there that aren't familiar with Sophie's story. So just share the message out into the world. It would mean the absolute bloody world to us. And last but not least, thanks to this handsome devil right here. Oh, I'm going to miss him while I'm away. No, you fucking won't. You'll be enjoying Sunny Spain, my friends. Don't be lying yeah. to me like that. Um, another absolutely amazing episode. Bill, thank you so much for taking the time, like I said, to come on us and chatting to us. We absolutely loved it. And we look forward to having you back on in the future. Of course, as Jamie has stated, we are not here next week. Uh, Jamie is sunning it up in sunny España. Um, so I hope you have an absolutely fantastic time over there. Uh, disfrutar la España. Um, I don't know what that means, but... Enjoy Spain. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time with The Chronicles of Jamie Arthur. We also want to let you know that we have so much in store coming at the end of April. Um, we have a lot of great interviews coming we have a lot of great shows coming up so make sure you stick around make sure you subscribe to that youtube like i said earlier uh and that you stick around to find out what's happening with us we've got some big nice be- i hate being the the, the the carrot dangler i don't mean to be the carrot dangler people i'm so sorry i hate being that person's like well we can't announce it yet but i'm gonna let you know that i've got announcements to make later for no reason whatsoever um but i do want to reassure you right now that we do have some sick guests coming up so i'm really excited to I still want to mention them just in case they don't turn up. Anyway, so uh, 
Jamie, thank you so much for another absolutely amazing episode. Have the most fucking fantastic time away in Spain. And as for this week, we'll see you all in two weeks' time. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye.